Bring it in, read option pod back after the game of the year in the NFL. Uh, a bunch of really entertaining games that kind of came down to the wire. A bunch of interesting stuff uh, all around the NFL world. Kind of a relatively boring weekend in college football. Be curious to see what the uh, what the top four look like on Tuesday night. But uh, all in all, another great weekend of the NFL. Week ten in the books. On to week 11. We still have Monday Night Football. This is the time we're recording this. Birds taking on uh, Washington in Philly. That line, as we had it, was minus 11 when we put our picks in. But I think it's it's moved around a bunch. So um, I've seen it minus 12 for Philly. I've seen it down to like nine and a half. We'll see uh, where that ends up tonight. But boys, how are we? Another good. I was up in Philly this weekend. Vito bailed on us. Um, me and Scott <laughs> hung out. Had a great time. Uh, and we both live in Virginia and we're in Philly and the guy who lives in Philly didn't come see us. So what's that about Vito? You know, we had a, uh, we had an extenuating circumstance. We, I'll, mm. I'll say that we had a boy who, uh, you know, one of your bros needs a bro weekend and yeah. you're there and you're getting drunk. We drank during the day, Saturday, by the time you guys went out, we were asleep. Then we woke up and then you guys were already, I don't even know at 12, you know, by that time it was probably, I was in bed. Yeah. All day I was, too. I, I was home and in bed, but to be yeah. fair, like we called you at eight o'clock. <laughs> we said, Oh we yeah. Set out the thing. Like, it was, like, it wasn't even like, like, it was like an 11 o'clock. Like, yeah. No, I was asleep from like seven to midnight. Then we, then the, this is the problem. Then I got up and then we drank till like four or five in the morning Then we slept till like 1230 rushed to get bets in and then just watch football all Sunday and continue to drink. So yeah, it was a, uh, it was one of those weekends that you have with the boys. It sucks. I missed you guys. Um, yeah. I thought it I was happens. at least going to get out and hit a bar with you guys, but uh, it happens. Well, and we still don't know if you would have been allowed into How on the Moon anyway. I am great establishment moon in Philadelphia. That that'll that'll happen. But that was a long time ago. I think they that were was at least the screening process. Yeah, the screening process getting us in there was well, it was you would have found your way well, in. Oh, there, I would have been. It's fine. It's, uh, it's more of a story at this point than an yeah. actual concern. Yeah, we uh, we celebrated my sister's 30th birthday. Uh, I baby. may or may not have been pulled up on stage with my sister singing scenes from an Italian restaurant. Uh, yeah, I have it on video. I was gonna, there may or may not be video proof at this point. It's still all allegedly. Um, but yes, no, it was we had a great time. Karaoke room in Chinatown uh, was a blast. Scotty and I got up and uh, and rocked Bohemian Rhapsody out of this fucking world, uh, which was great. Bunch of great, uh, just a good time. Good time in the karaoke room in Chinatown, which is a sentence I didn't think I would say. Uh, but yet here we are. Um, but uh, nonetheless, woke up Sunday, sat on the couch, watched my girlfriend met my family, which was a big, the big step. Guys being dudes. Uh, I can tell you now, Guys big step. Dudes. Fly, it passed with flying colors. She did fantastic. Uh, and yeah, so it was all in all great weekend. And it was funny because I had I had to drop her off at the train station because she was she took the train up Saturday, took the train back Sunday, back down to D.C. And uh, on the way when I left to drop her off, Buffalo, well in control of that game. And then all of a sudden I got like a Twitter update from somebody being like all caps, like, holy shit, Justin Jefferson. And I was like, oh, something's happening. 
I drop her off. And then in the car, I pull up YouTube TV, not to watch because I responsibly, but just to listen to the audio as I'm driving. And uh, I get, I pull it up in time, right as I pulled it up was the fumble in the end zone. And, uh, and Eric Hendricks falling on that. So that will be the game that we start with because it was the game of the year. Normally we go chronologically, but we, we have to start with that game. But before we do that, a word from our presenting sponsor, because the read option is presented by Alliance Accounting. The heart of football season is here. The autumn wind is blowing. The leaves are turning different colors. And while you watch the seasons turn, you should turn to the team at Alliance Accounting for all your personal and business tax solutions. Alliance Accounting has all the tools and resources you need to be prepared for any season. Their dedicated and knowledgeable team will prepare your federal and state tax return while you prepare for your family football game. Enjoy your company Thanksgiving potluck while the Alliance team provides you with the bookkeeping you need to maintain your company's financial organization and success. Alliance is here to help you. And with tax day just a few months away, you don't want to get caught off guard like your Aunt Linda at Thanksgiving every year. Don't go cold turkey on your personal or business finances to end 2022. Turn over a new leaf this season with Alliance Accounting. Right now, you can get 10% off your first service with Alliance Accounting. Just tell them the Read Option Podcast sent you. So Read Option Podcast listeners, visit Alliance Accounting's website at allianceacctng.com today or check out their Instagram at alliance underscore accounting and get that 10% off your first service at Alliance Accounting. Alliance Accounting with you every step of the way. All right, and with that, let's dive in to what was the, the best game of the year. Uh, I think the win prob- probability of this game got all the way down to 2% when uh, Minnesota was down 17 in the fourth quarter. Unbelievable comeback. Uh, Scotty's putting his finger up. What do you got, Scotty? I feel like you have some 1%. Sad- 1%. 1%. Yeah, it was wild. Uh, Scott Hansen went over as he was signing off of red zone, uh, but it was uh, he was talking about how it went from something like uh, 70% uh, after uh, they kicked the field goal down to 1% uh, after after Buffalo had, had gotten the ball back up to uh, another 70% again uh, after the fumble and then uh, down to, to like 40-something percent uh, after, at the end of the fourth quarter after Buffalo had tied it up. So a wild roller coaster. Uh, in the span of like two minutes of game time too. Yeah. And and look, I think ultimately what we take away from this, there's a few things you can take away from this game. Number one, we've talked about the last couple of weeks, Minnesota is a good football team. And I don't think at any point this year, I thought that they weren't a good football team or we alluded to on this podcast. However, I think given the body of work and even including this game, questioning their their ceiling is fair. I think it's fair to bring up, but we know at this point, obviously Justin Jefferson is the best quarter or best wide receiver in the NFL. I I think at this point, it's really hard to argue with us. You can say Tyreek Hill, you can say, you know, maybe Jamar chase when he's healthy, but for the most part, it's Tyreek Hill and it's Justin Jefferson. And I think everyone else, I mean, Cooper cup still, but that's kind of where we're at when we're talking about the top tier guys. And there are very few players in the NFL who aren't quarterbacks who can completely take over a game in a quarter the way that Justin Jefferson did in this game and bringing this Minnesota back 
all the way from where they were down 17 at one point to then winning this football game, finding a way to get it, you know, into overtime. Um, And even Buffalo, like Buffalo made the stop in overtime and had a chance to go down the field and win the game. And they forced a turnover from Josh Allen. Um, On the other side of this, Josh Allen and, and just Buffalo in general, the bills are obviously a really good football team. But we're starting to see the injuries catch up to them. We're starting to see when they get matched up with an elite team. Like, unfortunately for the Bills, like, we saw it with Justin Jefferson, but that other wide receiver who completely changes games is Tyreek Hill, and he is in your division. He's on the team that's now in first place in your division, and he's a team that you're probably going to have – he plays on a team you're probably going to have to go through to get to a Super Bowl. And with how banged up this secondary is for Buffalo, it is a real concern as to – how far, like how, how much can the Bills offense take them even in a game against Minnesota where like this, this, the comeback of Patrick Peterson, whatever, the Bills should have won this game. They were in control of it through three quarters. I mean, to your point, with a minute and 40 seconds left in the third quarter, they're up 27 to 10, and then they let up an 81-yard touchdown for Dalvin Cook. So to your point, the defense needs to hold on at some point. You're up 27 to 10, about to head into the fourth quarter. You should win that game. Um, obviously, you know, the Dalvin Cook run was huge. The craziest thing was that fumble on the goal line. I mean, I mean, the Bills defense stepped up there, right? But the offense gave up seven late. And then they had to go recover, get down, kick the field goal, and get to overtime. But, I mean, I thought basically from a minute 40 left in the third quarter until – literally 30 seconds left in the game after the touchdown from Minnesota, Minnesota kind of dominated that game a little bit. I mean, thank God the bills stopped them on defense. So we got this show and we got this crazy play. I haven't seen this, a fumble being recovered like this, like on the snap, they were on the one. I mean, that was a wild scenario where, where the bills are having to try and, you know, do something out of their own end zone. But I think just there's a lot of conversations we have about that, right. And how they, what should they call? Should they go shotgun? Should they do something else? It doesn't matter. To your point, the team as a whole, no matter what the exact play call was from the start or from right before the end of the third to almost the end of the fourth, the Bills just didn't have their shit together. It's almost like they got that field goal. They got up three possessions and they were like, ha, ah, and exhaled. And then all of a sudden, Minnesota wasn't done. And it felt like that, right? Like they just yeah. had them on the ropes. And the other thing, too, is I've seen a lot of people – Mentioned the the interception he, that Josh Allen threw earlier in the fourth quarter in the red zone. It was the fourth and two, and he was trying to force, make a touch, you know, because I get it. It's right. All right, fourth down. If not, it turns the ball over. They could have kicked the field goal, and everyone's like, ah, whatever the field goal would have put him up 13. Like, And this is one of those moments where old school football guy says, take the points every single time. You always take the points, right? And then nerdy analytical guys like, well, actually you can get a better <laughs> analytic odds and all this. Right. And it's like, there are times when old school football guy has a point that is valid in which you could have gone up 13 with that field goal. That does miss. It doesn't make it a two touchdown game, but it at least expands the lead a little bit. It gives you a little bit more breathing room and in this modern NFL where everyone's going for it, I question less on the decision to go for it on fourth and two. I mean, to me, in that situation, I'm cool with taking the points because you've dominated the game. You're adding a little bit more onto it. It's that much more that the offense of Minnesota is going to have to do to get back in the game. 
And your defense up until that point had been playing really well. And point, turning, turning the ball over doesn't help you. In, uh, you. It's an empty possession at that point, other than milking the clock a little bit, which to me, what you were saying there, Vito, feels like they kind of got caught like playing with their food, like kind of not taking it overly seriously. And I think that's a problem. Like, I think you, you have a chance to extend that lead, even if it doesn't make it a three possession game, it still extends your lead and makes that hole that much bigger for Minnesota to come back from. To your point, what I, what I think people forget too, there's a lot of discussion on, oh, it's a two possession game. Now it's a three possession game. A possession where you have to kick a field goal versus a possession where you have to score a touchdown is so massively different. Yeah. That, to your point, like, I think that going from up, up, you know, 10 to up 13, even from up three to up six, that is a massive difference. And I know you want to control the ball and everything, but I, I will say this, what I was surprised about is that like, um, you know, basically the bills were able, this wasn't a great statistic game from the bills, but they were able to move the ball. It felt like their offense was good. It felt like they, they were able to do what they want to do, but you're right. It was some mistakes here and there. And, Give Minnesota credit. I mean, they they had big plays when they needed to. That Dalvin Cook run, I'm telling you, if they if they don't have that 80 yard touchdown run, I don't think they get the spark on offense to do any of this stuff. And the Bills are still really good. Like I it, but at this point, there does seem to be a trend now. It's happened three different times in these close games, and it's back to back weeks where Josh Allen hasn't looked particularly crisp. And I also wonder, too, if this is maybe what we have to come to expect of Josh Allen, which was kind of my burning question here for this game, which was, is, is this just what Josh Allen's seasons are going to look like, right? He's, got, he's come so far from the guy he was in the beginning of his rookie year in Buffalo that was turning the ball over left and right, was, was com- incredibly inaccurate, completing like 55% of his passes, to now like a perennial MVP candidate. But he, I do think that maybe he's just always going to be prone to games like this. He's always going to be prone to some stretches throughout the season where he's going to have a couple of bad weeks in a row. And it was nice to see that it didn't seem like the elbow was bothering him that much. Um, apparently, the, the, the doctors and all the elbow specialists and everyone else that they had looking at him this past week said that he can't injure it any more than it's already injured, which is a good sign. Um I don't know. I mean, Scott, is, is this the future? Is this what we just have to come to expect with Josh Allen moving forward, that he's one of these guys that he's going to put up monster numbers and he's going to be one of the best players in the league. He's going to truck stick people left and right when the game's on, on the line, but he's also going to have stretches in the season where he's just going to make a couple of bad mistakes here and there. Yeah. I, look, everything with him is, is, uh, is big, big risk, big reward. Right. And, and if they don't get it, it ends up like like it did today. I mean, look, even when after the mistake they made, um, he goes and shakes it off in the fourth quarter, that fumble in the end zone, shakes it off, gets back on the field, goes six plays down. Uh, and, and they had a, a legitimate shot to win it right there, uh, just based on on uh, Josh Allen marching him down the field. So I think that there's a, a legitimacy to the fact that he's able to convert in these big situations. The problem then becomes, well, now you're only relying on him, right? Like even with Mahomes, when we talk about Mahomes in these sorts of situations, it's like, we know what he's working with. He's got Travis Kelsey. He's got any pick a receiver. He can figure out who to throw to, but Allen is like, Nope, it's on me. Um, I'm going to either sling the ball 
to Stefan Diggs or I'm going to be running. And we saw that on that last drive. He ran, I think, three times for something like 40 of the uh, the 84 yards that he had. So uh, that to me is where the problem lies, is that you're putting it all on him. And so the pressure builds and builds and builds and builds. And then you get to these situations where you're 20, 30 yards from, from scoring a game winning or less than that from scoring a game winning touchdown in overtime to, oh, crap, that was the one spot we made the mistake. And it was even more massive. And and I think that's a, a good characterization of it. But I, I also think that this is kind of part of what I because I, I think more often than not, Josh Allen makes those plays and does it right. And every once in a while, he's not going to, right? Every once in a while, he's going to have a like the throw in overtime that got picked off was a terrible throw. Um, the the throw in the end zone, he was trying to give it a shot on fourth and two, the first interception, and it wasn't a great throw, but he was trying to make a play out of it. So, like, I don't fault him for that. Again, I think it's more of like, hey, it's fourth and two. I would hope you have a more creative play to get you two and two yards on a, on a play that would ultimately kind of help end the game because that's also going to milk another few minutes off the clock. Um, but I think this is kind of what we have to come to expect with Josh Allen, which is that more often than not, he's going to make the plays correctly and he's going to win you games. You know, he did it against the chiefs in the NFC in the, uh, the AFC divisional round last year. Right. And, and then that game, you know, we know what happens. Mahomes goes down the field in 11 seconds and they kick the field goal and it goes into overtime and <laughs> they lose the coin toss. So it's like, and we almost had that here uh, yeah. this week because Minnesota was dangerously close to the end zone. And then a huge uh, on stop their first by, possession of overtime and a massive stop by, by Buffalo's defense too to force them to the field goal, the sack there completely put them out of like easy touchdown range. Um, and they also had to, like Vito said before, like the, the huge fourth down stop when they were on the goal line, uh, and then Kirk Cousins not getting in on the second effort, like all that stuff kind of played into it. Uh, Dalvin Cook dropping the ball, right? You know, on, on third down when he had a walk-in touchdown and and drops yeah. the ball. So like this, I, it does feel like the way the Buff uh, Minnesota played in the second half. Like I, I feel like the right team won based off of how the game played out. But this was a chance for Buffalo. I mean, Buffalo's up twenty-four to ten at halftime you should be putting this game to bed. Like this game should yeah, have never been remotely as close as it was. If you're legitimately one of the top tier teams in the NFL, yes, a hundred percent agree. But this is why I'm having trouble way. because there's that part of me that wants to say, all right, well, do we have to worry about Buffalo as a contender? And that the other side of me is sitting here going, I'm not counting that team out or Josh Allen out. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I, that's where I'm, I'm perplexed. Cause it's like, do I think this team is flawed and the injuries in the secondary and, and no Jordan Poyer for the rest of the year and all this stuff, is that going to be enough to knock this team out as like one of the top two or three teams in the NFL? Or am I going to be stupid and bet against Josh Allen and say, no, this isn't going to happen. And yet we're going to see Buffalo in the Super Bowl or in the AFC championship game because he is good enough to carry them himself. He's one of the few players that is good enough to do that. So it's a fascinating thing to watch on the Minnesota side. Cause we have to give Minnesota their flowers. We have to give them at least the credit they deserve. They come back and win a huge game. Um, I still think them as a team is closer to what we saw in the first half than what we saw in the second half. But we said the same thing about the Miami dolphins when they came back and beat Buffalo and Miami's offense looks like a juggernaut. So I, I, you have to give Minnesota credit. They won the, the hardest game on their schedule against Josh Allen, not against Case Keenum. And they're sitting there at eight and one, number two in the division. Technically, they're two, ga- two games behind Philly. They need Philly to lose twice because Philly has the head-to-head. Um, so they're at least two games out of the, the number one seed. But 
I don't think anyone's expecting Philly to go undefeated for the whole season. So they're right in it for the one seed. Like that's, what's so crazy is between the giants being the two seed and still having two or in the AFC and the NFC East and having two games against Philly. And you have Minnesota with one loss, the top of the NFC can go any way at this point, the rest of the year. And there's a lot of people thinking like the NFC, like, Oh, well, the Vikings will have locked up the two seed. Like, there's a lot of football left, and the Eagles and could very here, easily drop two games. Here come the Bucks, and here come here come the Bucks, which is a perfect transition. Um, any other last thoughts on Buffalo, Minnesota before we move on? It, it was one of the greatest games I've watched in the last decade in the NFL. In terms of the, excitement, the way it ended, and, yeah. And we didn't talk about it too, but the Justin Jefferson catch on fourth down might be the one hander way ripped yeah. it from. It's up there with the Odell catch. In my opinion, um, in it, terms of game, in terms so of catches, in game too. for fourth and eighteen, like the moment was there as well. It wasn't it, Monday night or whatever OBJ had, but it was it was more important to the game than his catch was. Yeah, it, it was a perfect combination of the Odell catch and the Julian Edelman catch against the Falcons, where he catches the ball when it's like an inch above the ground at the last second. Yeah, it was the same thing because when you watch the replay, how that ball doesn't touch the ground. Still doesn't make sense to me. And then you have the one-handed jumping back, stealing the interception away from the defender. Um, it was crazy. And one of the things, too, that I'll give Minnesota credit for, that there's been no other Kirk Cousins teams that have done this, is that this team saves Kirk Cousins from the dumb plays. When Kirk Cousins makes dumbass decisions, this team bails him out, which he's never had a talented enough team around him to bail him out before. I don't to know. his I mean, credit, though, talent. there were some great throws. Played... Go ahead, Scotty. I was going to say there were some great throws that he made, especially to, For to sure. Justin Jefferson down that stretch. That like he put him where only JJ can get him. Yeah, agreed. But he's never no. had he's never had a roster like this, Vito, that is has bailed him out of his dumb decisions. I feel like Stephon Diggs and Thielen at their prime were, were yeah, he's not Jefferson, but he was still that guy. I, I think Jefferson's a whole other kind of athlete, but. I guess what I'm saying is that Kirk Cousins still, I think what's happening is like, he's still hitting defenders in hands. They're dropping it. I think he's getting pretty damn lucky too. I also think that he played at one o'clock. So yeah. One o'clock Kirk Cousins is, is basically Tom Brady on steroids. Um, Yeah. I, you're right. I mean, he only had, I think one year with Stefan Diggs and Thielen, but Mm -hmm. I I mean, I think Justin Jefferson's right now is better than Stefan Diggs has ever been, even at the best of his career. I mean, He's, he's surpassed the record that Randy Moss set for 100-yard games, the most 100-yard games to start off the first three seasons, and he beat Randy Moss by, like, four games. So it's like Justin, yeah. uh, Justin Jefferson's on, like, as elite as it gets in terms of his trajectory coming out of college. Um, and this, I think, was his best game so far as a pro, which is saying something considering – because it's like, not just statistically, but just the overall – game that he played i think it's i think it's the best and the impact and all that other stuff all right let's move on that game deserves more time because it was the best game of the year so we had to make sure we did it properly uh we'll move over to the germany game first game in germany and my takeaway and my burning question is why don't stadiums in america allow us to have full pitchers of beer like they do in germany because that looked fucking amazing did you guys see that yes i got so jealous I got so fucking jealous, Jeff. What is going on? America, listen, this is just a call to all of us. You international listeners, you know, 
it's good for you, but you need to you need to understand this is just for us. We need to get our fucking shit together, everybody. Okay. We need beers in college stadiums everywhere, not just in some. In the NFL, we don't need pitchers even. We why aren't they selling those hats with the two beer cans and the funnel thing that you can go in your mouth? Where are those been? I haven't seen that since the late 90s. What the hell is going on? We need to get back on our drinking game. You know what I mean? Europe can just handle their alcohol better. Like, as if you gave out pitchers like that in Philadelphia during the World Series, the city would like you, you don't even have to worry about greasing the poles in Philly. You have to like structurally like add more stability to the entire city if you gave Philadelphia fans full pitchers of beer, right? Every time they go. And hell, and the thing is too, stadiums could charge like 30 bucks, 40 bucks for a full pitch, 50 bucks, and fans would, would still it. fucking buy it every oh, yeah. single time. And they'd do it happily. Um, but I love that. They'd uh, also pour them all over people instead of being civil about it. So yeah, there's 100%. that too. Yeah, well, that's that's true. Uh, there'd be drunk people whose hands would get tired and it would start spilling. It, w- it wouldn't be good. Um, but to the actual game itself, it feels like the Bucks are back. And we talked about this at the end of last week um, or after last week's win for, for Tampa Bay is like, is this going to be the game that, that, that get right moment for Tampa Bay? It kind of feels like, Hey, Tom Brady going through the divorce. Right. And now he's got all that settled and, he can pretty much just focus on football, right? Lawyers are handling anything else. Um, the offense looked good, right? But I'm also – I'm struggling here a little bit because some of this feels like an experienced team going up against a young team and the experienced team just – despite probably being less athletic and and less, uh, you know, I don't want to say talented, but just overall less athletic, um, Tampa Bay – just flat out outplayed them. And you had these comeback moments from Julio Jones. And I guess I'm, I'm curious because there's a part of me that feels like based off of what we've seen from Tampa Bay, which was not a small sample size. We saw eight games of Tampa Bay looking like shit. Is this more of an arbor- aberration, right? Is this more of like a, hey, this is kind of the flash in the pan, couple weeks, Tom Brady gets it right? Or is Tampa Bay going to kind of find their way to go on a run? Luckily for them, the division – is extremely winnable and they have a two game lead now uh, plus whatever their win loss records are. I mean, this is Tampa's division to lose at this point, Um, but Seattle is not a slouch, but they did have three extra hours of, you know, hangover time from the sleep jet lag. Uh, And it's an inexperienced team going overseas. Gino still played well, like the fourth quarter from Gino, he looked good. Um, but Tampa Bay's defense finally looked right. Uh, getting Antoine Winfield Jr. back was huge for that defense. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of sitting here going like, it feels like it's back. But at the same time, there's – I mean, they still got shut out at two different quarters. The defense still let it up there and almost gave up the comeback in the fourth quarter, which we saw a few times earlier this year in some other wins. So I'm not all the way back in on Tampa Bay, but it did look like they had at least a little bit more of their shit figured out. To your point, there were games earlier this season where they'd have flashes, like even last week, right, where they won in the last second, and we were like, is this going to give them the momentum that they need? They played mostly, I would say, uh, not championship football, and then played moments of championship football. This is the first time where I feel like they played a lot of championship power football, and then mixed in some shit play. So, like, this is the first time I feel like they were mostly good throughout a game that I've seen in a little while. Um, Brady always finds a way to win. The one quote I loved was Brady said, like, this is one of the coolest experiences he has had in his, you know, 23 year career, whatever it is. So like, or 21 year career. So I, I do think that 
seeing Tom Brady have fun and seeing his teammates see him have fun is something they've missed this year, right? He's been very aggressive. Obviously, he's got his personal stuff, but all the clips of him on the sideline are screaming at people. And yes, there's usually that every season, but I feel like not as often. Maybe it's just a perception deal, but there's something there. Everyone says how great of a teammate he is, but I think there's something to Tom Brady going to, like, you know, over to Germany, having some fun, and I think kicking this team back into gear in terms of, like, hey, we, we, we shouldn't have won that game last week, and we did. We pulled this one out against a good Seahawks team. We're back. And I think this can build on them to have more championships caliber football and a little less shitty football throughout the next couple of weeks. And hopefully they can, you know, hit this going hard in the playoffs. And day to day on the field, Vito, you're right. To me, it looked more balanced. Like they were able to get 22 carries and 105 yards out of Rashad White, who's not even the starter, right? Leonard Fournette is. Uh, and so that's huge. We talked all season basically about how uh, their run game, uh, how the run game helps. But uh, to, to your point, Jeff, their, their passing game is what helped open up some of that run game, uh, especially later on in the game when they were trying to ground out some clock. And then the credit to Tampa Bay's defense, even as bad as they looked in some of the passing game, they were able to shut down a really, really solid rookie running back in Kenneth Walker III. Uh, Geno Smith was the, was the leading rusher with 22 yards on the, uh, on the Seahawks this week. So, um, so that's huge, right? That's been the cog of their offense is them being bounced and being able to run however the hell they want with Kenneth Walker the third. And then that opens up anything for Geno Smith. Uh, so you shut that down and, and they get one dimensional. That's where, that's where I think uh, the Seahawks uh, Achilles heel is. Plus they can't win a big game against a, a team with, uh, with, with a good squad. They just can't that the three losses this year, four losses this year have been against uh, three of them have been against teams with three records. Uh, the other against Tom Brady. So, Win the big game. I, I I understand where you're coming from, though, Scott. But I I I think it's a little harsh to say that they can't win a big game. I mean, they beat the shit out of the Chargers. They beat the shit out of the Giants, who are seven and two. Like it, it's this is. They also beat Denver on opening night. I think that was a pretty big game. Yeah, I mean, and, and I know the like the San Francisco loss, like that was week two of the season it was it was completely you know out of nowhere um I, I do know what you mean uh and, and they'll have an opportunity right to play better teams towards it they have that tough stretch at the end of their season where they're playing san francisco kansas city and the jets three games in a row but they have won games against good teams uh it, it's not some dominant stretch but also i i don't i don't think a young team like they are with a quarterback who is riding this hot streak that yet he's still playing well, despite the loss against Tampa Bay against a really good defense. Like, I guess it, it deter, it depends on what your expectations are. My expectations for the Seahawks are not to be a Super Bowl contender. My expectations for them from what I've seen through 10 weeks is that they're a pretty good football team, right? I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender. I think they have a chance to win their division and teams that are in that, you know, that B plus range in the NFL are going to have games like this when they're going up against good defense. And that's, you know, removing the whole fact that they had to fly to Germany and we're playing at six o'clock their own time. Like that's, that's a huge adjustment. And for a young team that doesn't have experience, that doesn't have a ton of guys who've gone overseas and done that. That's a tall ask. And yet, they were still in it at the end of the game, albeit they needed a ton of help. So 
I don't think they're fraudulent. I just think they're a young team that's promising, that's going to win a good amount of games. They'll probably finish around 10 wins and probably either win the division or they'll be a wild card team if this, the Niners are able to come back and win that division. But I, I guess I don't come away with this like thinking like, oh, man, we were all completely wrong about the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks are a good football team. I expect them to lose some games. This is a game that I would expect them to lose. And if they turn around and they beat the Raiders, the Rams, and the Panthers like they probably should over the next three weeks, we're going to be sitting there talking about a 9-4 and four team who is also expected coming into the season to maybe win four games all year. And to me, like, there's sometimes you're going to lose. And I think this is – that's why I brought it up saying, like, this felt like the experience of a, of, a, of a team like Tampa Bay that has a bunch of Super Bowl champs on it that has been in the mix for the last three seasons, including this season with Tom Brady coming off of a big win with good leadership and they're get they get the job done. I mean, it was, and, and I also say this, I mean, it was not as close, I think, as the final score indicated, but you expect this out of a, a young team. And it's weird to say that like Geno Smith is young because he's been in the league for so long, but this version of Geno, whatever it is and forever long it lasts, does feel like a new version of him where it's like you almost have to kind of treat him not like a rookie, but like a guy with like a second chance to to make something happen. And and none of us really know where that's going to lead him, you know, down the line. And for now, Tampa Bay, more experience, Tom Brady. It made more sense. Yeah, I I think the Seattle team is going to play good when the playoffs come around. They're built for playoff football, so I'm excited to see them. And the fact that they came back from, you know, a 14-3 deficit, uh, I think it was 21-3 at some point, and made this a one-score game at all, actually says a lot about the team that Pete Carroll has going because there's a lot of teams that quit at that point and don't even get close to, you know, coming back and making making it a game at all. Um, but the Seahawks found a way, and that says a lot because there's a lot of teams that lay down at that point. And the Seahawks team is is fighting, and that says a lot. Uh, all right, next up, one of the other best games, um, probably the second best game of Sunday, the Lions and the Bears. Vito, your prediction on this game was a tie, and if it wasn't for uh, – was it Santos? Who missed the kick or Eddie Panera? Who missed it this week? I always get those two confused. Santos. Panera's on, uh, on the Panthers. Carolina, that's right. Uh, if it wasn't for Santos shanking that extra point, we could have very easily had a tie. Um, but the Lions come out with 21 points in the fourth quarter. Um, Justin Fields with a god-awful pick six. Definitely his worst play of the year. But all in all, yeah. Justin Fields is fucking electric. And Dude, we saw that him. Play, right? he, I mean, he's, a, he's an absolute athlete. And I want to see him in the future with a better surrounding cast because right now – it, the, the people around him are, are not great. Chase Claypool was pretty much a non-factor. But when you extrapolate his his like last four-game stretch over the course of a season, he would win the MVP in a landslide. That's how – like it's something like he'd have almost 2,000 rushing yards. He'd have over 3,000 passing yards, 30-something touchdowns. Um, and, and the dude's a monster. Like he's, he, he's an athletic freak, and when he runs – I mean, like that t- – he had back-to-back weeks with a 60-plus-yard touchdown run. No quarterback in NFL history has ever had two 60-yard-plus touchdown runs in the same season before. And uh, Justin Fields has done it in back-to-back weeks. So, um, 
And the other thing too, is it's still early in his season. They were playing a bad defense. So I'm curious as they continue throughout the season, what teams will do to try to figure him out a little bit, because that's going to happen. Um, but at the same time, credit where credit's due. And this is kind of that perfect case scenario for Chicago where the bears, you know, they don't want to win a whole lot of games because they need help and they need to have good draft position uh, and not necessarily for a quarterback, but just for skill players for offensive line. Like they want to have those top draft picks, uh, but they still showed a way to be in this but game towards the end. You win that game, you're four and five, you're in the mix. Uh, like <laughs> to an extent, but I mean, I don't know. Like it's more and more like the line of delineation for um, the NFC. It's, it's pretty clear who the teams that are going to be wild card teams are at this point. It's just a matter of kind of figuring out the order, you know, like, know. Can, like, uh, like Dallas and New York, Philly, one of those, two of those three teams are probably going to end up being wild card teams. Minnesota's probably is going to win the NFC North. Tampa Bay is going to win the NFC South, right? Or someone's coming in. No one else in that division is going to make the playoffs. And so there's not a whole lot of openings there. And then you have San Francisco and Seattle who have a pretty comfortable lead. So you're right that they're not, they could have been on the, you know, in the hunt graphic that we have at the bottom, you know, that we'll probably start seeing over the next couple of weeks. But I don't know. Like, I think if you're Chicago three and seven, you're going to get a top 10 pick. At this point, you just want to see enough improvement in Justin Fields that you feel good about bringing him back and building around him. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know, man. I think they're going to go off with him. I think, I think he could end up taking him to a wild card spot. The only thing you hope is that anytime I hear wild card and I think of a quarterback like that, I just think RG three, that wild card game where he got injured and was trying to do too much and came back injured, and it's just a comp because they're both electric running quarterbacks, but. Um, Man, I, I really do hope that whatever they do this year, it feels like he's going to have to do it by his own. Even that two-point conversion he ran, or maybe it was a short touchdown, he ran back and forth and, like, ju- literally juked out. Not, like, spun around like Russell used to do. Like, gave a side, like, a step and moved and juked out two defensive players, then a linebacker, like, do defensive lineman, then a linebacker, and got in. Like, I think he's going to run Chicago into a wild card spot. Maybe I'm just feeling it right now, but – that's what I think is going to happen with them. And I think to your point, the front office might not be thrilled. And I wouldn't be surprised if towards the end of the game, if they're kind of in it, whatever, do we, do we see some Jordan shit of them sitting him? Cause he's running so much. He's going to be banged up. Everyone in the NFL is banged up. There's always an excuse to sit someone like this. Yeah. So if you see Justin Fields in week 13, 14, start getting, you know, at least they're telling him not to run. We'll see some shit go down. Cause that guy's a competitor. He is. Uh, and I think at this point, there's no reason to sit him other than you're worried about him getting injured. I, I don't think we're going to see them. Yeah. I, I don't think they're going to, we're going to see them sit him. I, I think you want to get every snap of experience, everything you can for him. Um, it, they're kind of doing a, a less successful version of what the Eagles did last year, right? Where it was, Hey, we're adjusting our offense to fit our quarter, our developing quarterbacks needs. And ultimately, it's going to fall on on Justin Fields to do what Jalen Hurts did in the offseason, which was change your mechanics, learn the offense, put every single ounce that you have of yourself into being a great quarterback. And then hopefully your front office makes enough moves to give you the supporting cash that you need. Like the Bears are kind of in that same zone. Now, look, the Eagles defense last year was better, albeit slightly than the Bears defense right now. And the offensive line was obviously a lot better than what the Bears offensive line 
looks like now, but from a run blocking perspective, they're, I think in the top 10 in offensive line production, but they're also running the ball so much that it kind of skews the numbers. They're a terrible pass blocking team, which at least Jalen Hurts had the added benefit of that. So this team is still a long way from being super, super competitive, but they have this dynamic quarterback who's keeping them into football games. And I, I they, they need more help. I mean, Chase Claypool and Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, like that's a start. And you have a decent backfield between uh, Khalil Herbert and, and David Montgomery to, to help you at least be able to run the ball solidly. But you can't live forever being the Michael Vick scrambling quarterback. You know, even the original scrambling quarterback in Randall Cunningham, you know, like and obviously there were other guys going further back. But in terms of like the modern NFL, like Randall Cunningham was like, guy. Randall Cunningham was an amazing passer, too. You know, he just used his legs to extend what he could do throwing football. And I want to start seeing Justin Fields do more in the passing game, but that may also not come until next year. Uh, on the other side, Detroit, give them the flat against, like we're saying with, with the Minnesota, big win. First road win for uh, Dan Campbell in his career uh, as a head coach, which is a great, great win for him. Um game win streak in the division. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know what to make of, of the Lions other than this is kind of what we thought would happen, which is like they're on pace to kind of be like a, a 6 and 11, 5 and 12 type team, which is enough growth year from year one to year two that we can hang our hats on it because the offense is good. Like Jared Goff is like having a pretty solid season so far. They have good skill guys. Monra St. Brown is a stud. Uh, and, and they've also had other than Monra. Uh, their next four wide receivers have been hurt. So to the point where like Tom Kennedy, come, who hasn't had a single like significant play all season, breaks off a 40-yard catch that ends up being part of the reason why they win that football game. Uh, and then Jamal Williams and, and DeAndre Swift. So the future's bright. The offensive line's still really good. They can still move the ball, but that defense is a long way away, uh, and they're going to need that in, if, they, if they want to take the next step. Um, but also, they have a lot of young guys, and like Aiden Hutchinson, the tackle he made on the goal line, which ultim ultimately didn't matter because Justin Fields had that unbelievable Dude. play to find it in. But No, it was incredible. It was one of the best back-to-back -back plays we've seen by young players in some time. Runs yeah. across the line and just flips them down. If you haven't seen that highlight – it would have been, to your point, one of the highlights of the game, if not for the next play, Fields makes an amazing run and makes it all happen. Yeah, like, like if, if that's a fourth down at the end of – if that's fourth and goal at the end of the game and that touch like on Sunday Night Football, that's the number one play that's running yeah. on repeat on your entire – you know, because it was such a ridiculous play. And then, yeah, Justin Fields comes right back and makes an equally unbelievable play, Houdiniing his way into the end zone. Um, but – it's a fun – I mean, it's it's great to have this young talent, man. I mean, and what's cool about having guys who weren't necessarily quarterbacks drafted at the top of the draft over the last couple of years, or at least this past year, is we're seeing guys like Sauce Gardner and Aiden Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker and Derek Stingley, like, all playing really, really high level for their teams, uh, which is why people talked about this draft class is like, this is a loaded draft class. It's just not quarterbacks. And yeah. uh, and yet we are always so hyper focused on the quarterbacks. Uh, all right, let's move on here. Vito, your Broncos um, got off to a hot start, ten nothing lead against Tennessee, uh, which quickly uh, dropped off. This was an ugly game. Broncos Titans. Was it nine punts 
consecutively to start off the uh, game between the Broncos and the Titans. Um, how, Jeff, where's I your, I could tell you, but it showed on fucking red zone the whole time. And I yeah. understand why, cause it probably sucked, but God, it's frustrating, man. Where, where's your, where's your like state at right now with this Broncos team? Because I don't know if we can, I know early on, we haven't had you on for many like Monday night recordings to get your immediate like reaction to this, but I don't think we can blame Nathaniel Hackett anymore, which is a lot of what we were saying early on. Like it's very clear, like this is a Russ issue uh, and it's a team wide issue, but Russ does seem to be the center, like focal point of it. Yeah, he is. Um, I think it's a combination of them both, but to your point, like we're watching Russell Wilson throw balls into the ground in front of receivers. It, we're watching bad quarterback play. You call whatever play you want at this point. It doesn't matter. Watching bad quarterback play, inconsistent, I should say. Obviously, still Russell Wilson. He had a couple of balls. He was deep balls. went incomplete. So just the, the arc of him is still beautiful to see. But, it, the but time, that's I mean, rare for him. On. I mean, he's the best deep thrower in NFL history statistically. And, and, yeah, he missed a couple of deep ones. Yeah, some short, some long. The thing, too, is that, like, you watch that game. Cortland Sutton made a couple amazing catches in a couple yeah. different spots. But they were like seven yards, but you know, 15 yard ball here, 25. Point is, is that our receivers are even making play like incredible, not you know, sports center like catches, top 10 light catches just to cover for Russell Wilson. Like, it's not like our receivers are dropping a ton of balls here, you know, that's different when you have a quarterback struggling like that. This is on Russ, and I, I think, uh, there's not much more else to say, and I can't dress it up, or, or, or I, I don't even have a spin zone for this to try and make it sound good. Like, there's a way out of this. It's like, Okay, we've started trade away captains at this point, which I know I went off about last week. But like, we're at the point where, as an organization, as a franchise, we need to make this work. I don't know what that means. I don't know what how we have to do that. But the money's in Russell, so something has to happen here. We have to make something work out. It's funny when you're talking about Justin Fields because I know you guys. I, I always talk about this because. We drafted Patrick Sertan, and then there was Justin Fields and Micah Parsons. And I wanted both those guys ahead of Sertan. I love Sertan. It's just those other two positions do more. But, man, fuck, I want – if Justin Fields is on this team, instead of trading away our future for RG3, I – or, I'm sorry, RG3, for Russell Wilson, um, I think we're in a much better spot, at least with uh, with everything. And, and, and I guess what I'm saying is that I think we, we got him, and he's, again, playing like he's young. He's trying to run and do spins and split defenders. Like there were two defenders and he just starts running in between them. Honestly, Scott, he looks a lot like Sean Clifford from Penn state. When like, you're talking about a guy who thinks he still has this athleticism or thinks he has the college athleticism to like against the scout team. And then all of a sudden he gets out there and plays against the NFL guys. And Russell like remembers, you know, he's been wearing the red Jersey for a lot of years now in practice. So he gets out there again. And I just feel like he, he doesn't have the speed he does. So he's, he thinks he does. And so he's making poor decisions based off, is like loss of speed and strength. It, it's what it looks like. So or the, I think the arm I strength know. too. Yeah. Like there's something going on here. And because like, what, what, yeah, it just looks like to, to your point, Vito, like, and then there's like one good play, right. Where you're like, Oh, well shit. Like he still got it in the tank. That long shot he had to, to Jerry Judy when he got injured on that play. Uh, right. And then, it's plays like that that you're accomplished Sean Clifford that when we watch Penn State games like that we're like oh well okay great like he still has it and then you know the rest of it's crap but it's, 
And, and at the end of the day, like Sean Cl- or uh, Russell Wilson, uh, Freudian slip, still had his second highest passing total in the season at almost 300 yards. So, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I hate to, I hate to do this to you, Vito, because I just feel bad even telling you about it, but like, this is a bad situation for Denver. Um, yeah, this isn't like, you it's can, worse every week. You can fire Nathaniel Hackett. And I don't think that's going to be the problem. We're seeing Pete Carroll flourish with Geno Smith. I think we've learned definitively that, that Pete Carroll wasn't the issue in Seattle. Um, we talked about this last week with Aaron Rodgers. The dead cap hit for Aaron Rodgers, if Green Bay wanted to move on for him, which I think the game this past week will at least, you know, stop that kind of talk, um, is you can trade him and trade the contract, or you could cut him next year, and it would be a $99 million cap hit for Aaron Rodgers. If the Denver Broncos wanted to try to cut Den- uh, Russell Wilson, after this year and assuming we finish out the year nothing changes it looks like this the whole time it's a 107 million dollar dead cap hit that's going to right it's more than half it's more than half of your overall cap would be going to just cutting russell wilson the scarier part is that in 2024 his dead cap hit is 85 million and in 2025 his dead cap hit is 50 million the first time you they, they could realistically cut him and it still would be the largest dead cap hit in the history of the NFL would be in 2026 when it's a $31.2 million dead cap hit. So when you said we're connected to Russ, we're tied to Russ, this is it. It is it. And there is no alternative because right now there's not a team in the NFL that is going to be willing to trade for Russell Wilson. There's, there's just not a single one. And that is really scary for a team that just committed $250 million, 160 total guaranteed to a quarterback who was playing as a bottom third quarterback in the NFL. And, and, and I also want to say this too. I don't want this to only be about Denver. We just haven't had you on to get your Denver perspective enough in his defense. Jerry Judy gets knocked out of the game in the first quarter, uh, who's been his most reliable target. Um, and Cortland Sutton did as much as he could humanly do, humanly possibly do. Like the, the catch he made, uh, the one-handed catch with half of his body bent backwards was uh, got overshadowed by Justin Jefferson's catch. But other than that, I mean, it's probably the best catch of the year. I mean, it's, at least it's up yeah. there. It's an unreal catch. Uh, but this is kind of where Denver's at. And they moved on from Bradley Chubb. They're going to be hamstrings based off. I mean, because he's carrying a $22 million cap hit next year, $35 million cap hit the year after that. And in 2025, he carries a $55.4 million cap hit. They at least have some wiggle room over the next couple of years uh, to, to use some cap space before that fourth year kicks in. And it's going to be 55.4. But this is... I mean, he's he's slowly dropped off over the last couple of years, like I was talking about in, throughout last year and throughout the offseason, why I didn't love this trade. He's This is by far the biggest drop-off he's had. Um, and you can say the offensive line, he's been sacked three-plus times, I think, in five consecutive games, which is n- the first time in his career that that's ever happened, and everyone always talks about how terrible that Seahawks offensive line was for him year after year. 
So he's not getting a ton of protect protection. His most reliable off- offensive weapon was Javante Williams. He's out for the season. Um, so there's a tons of things that if you're looking at it optimistically, you go, okay, well, it can't all be on Russell. And part of that's true. But at this point, we just saw it with Arizona, right? Like Kyler Murray doesn't play in that game. And Colt McCoy ran that offense better than Kyler's run it all year. I'd be curious, right? How much of this is Russ and what Russ wants to do at the line of scrimmage. There was the back and forth about Russ not wearing the play sheet on his wrist or last week. And he had some comments to the, you know, to reporters because Pete Carroll said, it's nice to have a quarterback who wants to wear that on his wrist. Cause it makes things easier. And Russ kind of gave him a little shot back and said, Oh, we won a lot of games there without it. That's all true. But at the same time, it's more about the overall production we're seeing from Geno Smith after he left with virtually the same team compared to no. what we're seeing with Russell here in Denver. And it's, it's, I feel for you as a guy, cause it's like, and we, we talked about this in the offseason, these trades that teams were making for quarterbacks, and we're already starting to see it with L.A. because they did it a year before a lot of these other trades, and we're already starting to see that the Rams are in some trouble here long term. They got their Super Bowl, so it's worth it, but all these teams sacrificing capital, it's tough. It's a tough situation. Real quick, can we uh, – I want to talk about Tennessee because – Yeah. Fuck my Broncos. Um. I love you guys, but God damn it. Please stop breaking my heart. So on Tennessee, I couldn't believe they didn't run the ball more right up the middle. I don't know what, if it, what was happening, but it kept switching back into red zone. I'm checking the stats, right? I'm doing everything I can. Like, try, like had a bunch of screens up Sunday. It was great. But one problem was I couldn't believe how little they were running. Just openly, I bet on Tennessee. I bet them in the spread. I bet money line. They were, I mean, it's an easy win here. I think they could have blown us out and they didn't. And that's why I'm really shocked. We had a chance at the end. Russell, again, sucked and threw a pick to the, like no one, but Tennessee played a good game, but even Tannehill didn't look great. I don't even think they played a good game. They probably played a below average game and uh, they were able to come out with the win. I think a lot of their, their defense played pretty well. Again, our offense is, is – tra- I saw a stat. You'll love this one. You guys ready for this one? Yeah. Last thing on the Broncos. If the Broncos scored 18 points, if the Broncos offense had scored 18 points in every game this year, we'd have one loss. We would be an 8-1 and one team. Wow. How ridiculous is that? I, it, it goes to show that the defense and the defensive coordinator yeah. – <laughs> remind me of his name, Vito, because I always fuck it up when I pronounce it. But the Broncos defense oh, coordinator uh, is a stud. Uh, um, <clears throat> God. Um, nonetheless, I mean, he's, he's, he's going to be a guy that head coach mm-hmm. offers are going to come to over the next couple of years. He, yeah. I mean, and, and to, to your point too, about what happened to the, to the Tennessee rush in the ball. Why was, where was Derrick Henry all day? I think that's a credit to the, the Broncos defense for their top four, uh, their top four PFF grades on defense. We're, we're all above 68. Three of them were linebackers that were all in the 70s. So they did a really good job of stuffing the, the, the gaps and, and not letting Derrick Henry get his. Um, and we know that how good he is north-south. He's not very – I mean, he's still good, but it's, it's much more difficult for him. Um, obviously, his stats are, are very different when he's running east-west and trying to get outside and bounce the ball, right? And so when you have those linebackers plugging those gaps, you know, that's, that's a huge credit to, to the toughness of the defense. And on top of that, just the whole, the, the whole unit playing well uh, under, under the, the, the system they're in. 
And and I also want to say this about Tennessee. Every single game Tennessee plays is going to look like this. It looked like this game against Kansas City last week. It looked the exact same against the Broncos. They play teams tight. They run the ball well, even though they went away from it. And the flea flicker was the was the play that ultimately opened the game up and 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 broke the game off. Um, we also had Ryan Tannehill, kind of his first start back from injury, didn't look a hundred percent, but did enough. And Tennessee's defense is really fucking good. And at this point, as you just laid out there, Scotty, like we have to start respecting this Titans team as uh, it's a it's a type of team that's going to travel, right? And they remind me a lot of what the Cowboys looked like in the beginning of the year before Dak Prescott came back. Um, you know, obviously the Cowboys have better offensive weapons, but run the ball, play really good defense. This team's going to be a tough out, and they're going to continue to win games, and they're going to win that division comfortably. And Tennessee's going to be the same team that they are every year, winning ugly games all the way up until playoff time. Uh, until Ryan Tannehill eventually finds a way to choke the game away. Uh, all right, let's go. We got a few more games here in the one o'clock window. We'll speed it up a little bit for y'all. Uh, Jags, Chiefs, Chiefs barely cover the spread. Thank you to the uh, the kicker there in Jacksonville for missing as many kicks and fucking up as much as he did. He protected the spread well. Um, crazy to think Kansas City lost the turnover battle three to nothing in this game, and they opened up with a surprise onside kick and got it. And it still felt like Kansas City was going to dominate this game the entire time. Um, really scary hit on Juju Smith-Schuster. That was one of the other things I had written down here. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a tough one. Uh, I, what's weird is I don't think uh, – yeah, Cisco, the, um, the safety who had the hit on Juju, did not get ejected from this game. Uh, and yet the linebacker for San Francisco got ejected yeah, in Sunday Night Football. On an incidental um, hit. Unbelievable. Yeah. That this is this is the kind of shit when people get frustrated with head injuries and hits and the penalties and all that shit in the NFL. Like you can't have the play that Juju Smith Schuster gets knocked unconscious as he's falling to the ground. Like you could see his body completely freeze. Yeah, he, he had the, he the hands down. up when he fell. Yeah. And then fell had the same two of hands that everyone else was talking about uh when Tua had the concussion earlier, and that's not an ejection. And yet the Greenlaw play goes to New York and comes back and they don't yeah. and they eject him. And it's just we you can't have that happen. Um, but here we are once again talking about Kansas City. Um, to me, and we'll see what happens with Philly tonight. But to me, Kansas City is the best team in football. Patrick Mahomes is putting up stupid numbers every single fucking game. And he also continued to put up big numbers even after Juju get got knocked out of that game. He is far and away the best quarterback in the NFL. He should be the MVP front runner, but he's not going to get because we're all bored with it, right? That's what we do. We don't hype people up about it. I've talked about this for years with Steph Curry and with all across sports. Whenever you have a guy who is so transcendent, we obsess over him until we get bored of it and we're waiting for something else. And we don't appreciate how fucking ridiculous Patrick or actively rooting against them. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Or we come up, we find reasons to try to tear them down. and And he's just, he's just continuing to be, the best player in the NFL. And at this point, he, I don't think it's close. He's his best when he's starting to spread the ball around, right? And I mean, look, he's getting MVS involved. Kadarius Tony, who they got at the trade deadline, got involved. He had two, uh, one touchdown, I think, if not a second, but he had a, a pretty good game. Was he believe that was Kadarius Tony's first NFL, NFL touchdown? touchdown. I saw not that. even on the same team that drafted him. <laughs> I saw that, and that was shocking because of how dynamic he was. Um, yeah. 
but, yeah, but it's him. It's it's McKinnon out of the backfield. It's it's MVS. It's Juju who who will be out for the next couple of weeks, uh, likely. But but everybody's starting to get involved. Like MVS had a slow start. He's had a really good last two weeks. Uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling, um, by, uh, not Byron Pringle. Who's the other one? But Cole Hardman has come on in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and and so it, obviously they have Travis Kelsey there as a as a fail safe. So. When Mahomes is spreading the ball around, getting everybody involved, that team is just so much more dangerous, right? And they did that even when they had Tyreek Hill on the roster, uh, right? They were doing sort of the same thing with the offense. So uh, it's scary. And was there ever a doubt? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he completed nine pass nine. He completed passes to nine different receivers. Four different receivers caught touchdown passes. Kelsey, MVS, Tony, and then Noah Gray, the tight end. He's just he's the best at it right now. And for all of the massive plays and the the hero ball that we see Josh Allen do, and we're always blown away with it as we should be. Mahomes doesn't make the mistakes that but, yeah. Allen does. It looks more right? composed, right? Yeah. In, in the same situations, they might make big plays, but it seems more composed from from Mahomes than it does Allen. He made one mistake all day, and his receiver had slipped as he was going across the middle to make the catch anyway. So it's hard to even put that entirely on Mahomes, but I mean, 26 to 35 for 330, four touchdowns and a pick. He, and he does this routinely. I mean, part of my take was saying it on the, on, I was listening to it on my drive back today, but one out of every six games for Patrick Mahomes in his career, he has, uh, and this is true because he's played 72 games and he's had 12 games of 330 yards or more and four touchdowns. Jesus Christ. Wow. <laughs> so it's literally, it's like, Four, three times a season minimum, he's going to have a game like that. And, and that's, that's not even including the games where he's been banged up and played too. Like if you just take the games when he's healthy, and this was what I came back to. It's I, I had a feeling that if Mahomes is as lethal as we thought he was, that it couldn't just be Tyree Kill. It had to be he was that good, and we would get a chance to see that this year. And he's putting up one – I mean, his first MVP season was so ridiculous – I don't know if the numbers will be that good, but just because he doesn't top it, which is kind of like the Jokic thing in basketball, was like he he won back-to-back MVPs because the second year he actually elevated all of his stats. But Mahomes shouldn't have to elevate his stats from his first MVP year when he was a sophomore in the NFL in order to win the MVP because at this point he's just the best player in football. He just is. Yeah, that's why I have him as my offensive player of the year this year. Like I, I love him. I love this team. I definitely think they were going to score a lot. And you're seeing all those different pieces coming in work out like, like, the, and I love the fact that they made some moves right at the deadline. Um, but I really think that this is a team who I remember early in the year. I mean, their first two, they have two losses, their first lot, their losses were early. Right. And I remember they didn't win in amazing fashion. Like I think they won their first game pretty well, but like there were a couple of games there, I think, right. Where it was like, Hey, what's going on KC. And now all of a sudden it's like, Oh, guess what? We waited a couple of weeks they're back in first place in the AFC West and they're probably going to dominate that division and everything looks great. I mean, that's, and that's, that's what happens. They're so good. And the thing is too, is like Jacksonville won the turnover battle three, nothing had the onside kick. And if you tell me that before the game, you're thinking, Oh, Jacksonville kept that game close. And it's like, no, Jacksonville, (laughs) you know, like Christian Kirk had an amazing game. Trevor Lawrence played pretty well. Like the defense did as well as they could you still just can't find – and the fact that the defense of, of Kansas City is finding a way to just be consistently 
solid, right? They're not a top five unit. They're not a top 10 unit, but they're right in the top half of the league. That's all you have to do with Patrick Mahomes because Mahomes will get you to where you need to go. And again, we'll see what happens with Philly tonight. If Philly dominates against Washington, it's going to be hard to say that, you know, Philly's not the best team in the league, but I don't know with the experience and everything else bottled in. Like if you're asking me who should be the favorite to win the Super Bowl, it should be the Kansas city chiefs um, because they're just continuing to be that good. Uh, let's talk yeah. about a team whose best player used to play for Kansas city. The Miami dolphins jumped to first place in the AFC East uh, moved to seven and three and are currently undefeated when Tua Tunga Bailoa starts and finishes a game. The Miami dolphins blow out the Cleveland Browns. And when the Browns went down and scored that first touchdown, I had a thought. I was like, this is either going to be an annoyingly close game or this is going to be one of those games we talk about, man, that was crazy that, you know, Cleveland went down, scored the touchdown and convinced everybody, right? And the Miami's going to come back and blow the doors open. And I'll say this now too. I'm no longer going to try to make an argument against Tua. Um, This was the game that I needed to see from Tua to cement how good he's been and how to justify he's as good as his numbers say he are. Uh, he is because he spread the ball out all over the field. Um, we've seen it Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson had a monster day. So like Jeff Wilson, unbelievable addition to that team. Uh, Bradley Chubb helps on that defense. Now look, the Browns offense, it's nothing to write home about. Once that lead got to a certain level, it was like, there's no way that Cleveland's going to be able to come back and win this game. Um, but Miami, I still kind of feel because, again, the Browns' offense is bad and they still put up 17 points. If they play a Buffalo or a Kansas City and they're playing against an offense that's going to be able to put up a shitload of points, that's going to be a problem for Miami to try to – like because they're going to have to go score for score. They're not going to be able to just blow a team out that has a high-powered offense. But what we do know is this Miami offense is going to continue to be better and better and better. And I'll say this, too. I feel like Mike McDaniels, the first head coach hired from the McVeigh, Kyle Shanahan, like grouping of head coaches that has lived up to the billing in terms of bringing an innovative and brilliant offense. Because what he's doing, getting these guys in space, utilizing their speed is really impressive. And the fact that Cleveland actually did a good job because Tyreek Hill, I think only had three, maybe four catches in this game. One of them was a touchdown, but didn't destroy them like he's been doing the teams all year says a lot about how the Cleveland offense was preparing for them, and they had an answer every single snap that they went up, and, and Miami just dominated this game. Yeah, and on defense is where I'm most impressed with Miami, too. Not only, the like we, we talked about their offense uh, at, at last week, and, we were, and I remember myself saying that when we get to the playoffs, it's going to be trouble because they need to learn how to run the ball. And that's what wins playoff games, right? Well, here we go. Uh, they're starting to run the ball more effectively uh, against a pretty good defensive line, too. Um, and so I, I, the big thing for me, though, with Miami is their defense. They've gone from a bottom four rush defense to a top four rush defense since they acquired Bradley Chubb. Uh, and, and so to me, that I, I thought it was going to be a huge dose of, of – uh, of the Browns running the ball with with one of the best running backs in the league. Instead, they throw the ball 35 times against a good pass defensive team uh, and and Miami now uh, in the top four in, in rush defense because they've been able to, to plug those gaps and limit uh, running backs. Uh, 
since I don't know if it's the addition of Bradley Chubb uh, or if they're just getting more cohesive as a unit a, a, against the run, but uh, they're, they're doing a hell of a job on both sides of the ball. Yeah. They've yeah, been a really I mean, fun team. Go ahead, Vito. I, I think uh, same comments. I mean, the defense has been impressed with the run game. We know they can light it up, but just seeing most certain, Wilson, was it Wilson out the backfield? That other guy yep. I didn't even know till this week. I mean, what's going on in Miami? Well, he Everyone. was one of the guys that got traded at the deadline from San Francisco yeah. to Miami. And he played for yeah. Daniel. Wild, though, like, yeah. It's all X Niners. So I'll feel vindicated if if they win a Super Bowl too. I feel like yeah, I won one. <laughs> Some of your guys. Mike McDaniel. Yeah. No, but seriously, I, I do think to your point about Mike McDaniel, that this is a great it looks different. And I can't tell that just because Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle can get more separation than I feel like any other receivers in the NFL, or if – and Jefferson in there too. But, like, it, it's just wild how it just looks different. This team looks different. Like, um, the way they play in the NFL right now on offense is closer to Kansas City than it is to, like, any other team. And we haven't really had anyone close. To, I mean, the Bills are just different even then, right? The Bills don't don't even operate, like – the Chiefs, it's 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 still a different look. It's incredible to see from Miami. I'm so happy they got the run game going. Love love that Tua, this left-handed dude, is doing well. You know, we've all been up and down on Tua. I just think that um, I'm, I'm happy at least he's having some success and, like, playing within himself, playing within the team. And playing within someone, it always feels like you're saying, like, oh, don't do not do that much. Playing within his own – he won a eyes. He's, he's a damn good player. Like, you know what I mean? He's – he playing within himself is okay. It's just don't don't stretch it, and, and that's a hard limit to know. And it feels like he doesn't even have to really stretch himself much. He's just consistently making the right play. Um, it's 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 fun to see. This is that this is another jump in that third. You know that year. It's like Josh Allen had. It's some of these players are having jumps, and I'm wondering if you know if this is to his jump here to to make him a, a quarterback that's going to be in the league for a while. Real quick, did two did two win the high? I don't think two won the Heisman. Tua, he oh, he won the Natty. Lost, yeah, because yeah, sorry. he lost to Joe Burrow, and then he lost, he lost to Burrow. I'm thinking and, of when he got, they, yeah, I, I didn't even mean to say that. I meant when he came in and yeah, won the he lost, Natty. Yeah, because he lost to when Tua Kyler and Kyler, and then, yeah, and then I think he he went to the NFL. Because he, he had the hip injury the year yes. he did. Like, my brain froze for a second. I was like, wait, did, did he? I was like, no. The okay. Tua and the Heisman? That's crazy. Yeah, I, no. I was um, talking about my alternative NCAA franchise. Yeah, of course. Um. No, I mean, I I love this offense, man. And, you know, you remember, like, because it happened a couple times in NFL history that teams tried this. And, hell, the Eagles tried it this morning – or this this morning, this offseason with Devin Allen. Uh, bring when, when teams would be like, oh, why don't you just bring in, like, Usain Bolt to come in and your offense is just going to be fast as shit and you can just chuck it deep, right? And then you realize, like, oh, yeah, it takes a little bit more than just being obscenely fast to be an elite wide receiver in the NFL – this is what everybody pictured in their mind when you talk about that idea, right? Just get the fastest people humanly possible on a football yeah. field and let them go. And this is that mental image of like, oh, just put a bunch of Olympic sprinters in as wide receivers and let them run. This is as close as you can get to that, that mental image because that's how fast this offense operates. But they're um, also elite route runners, man. <laughs> Well, that's part like of it, and that's and that's why it's you can't just have Usain Bolt hop in on the sideline and say, "Hey, go yeah. go run fifty yards, and we'll chuck it to you." It takes yeah. a lot more than that. Um, they're going to have some tests over the next few weeks, 
Um, they're home against Houston this week, which should be another win. But then it's at San Francisco, at the Chargers, at Buffalo for the next three games, home against Green Bay, at New England, home against the Jets. Uh, if they come out of that, that stretch, you know, starting with San Francisco, um, you know, four and two, where they win four of those games against the six teams like San Francisco, Chargers, Buffalo, Green Bay, New England, the Jets, you take them, you take them serious as a Super Bowl contender because this offense is so electric that there's no reason why. And weirdly enough, there's Josh Allen, based off the last two weeks, has kind of become like fourth in the MVP conversation. And the top of it is now Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, and Tua. Because Tua statistically is in that conversation. Um, and Mike McDaniels did an unreal job. All right, let's take a quick break. We still have two more one o'clock games we got to hit, plus the later games. And we'll come back on this side, wrap up, and get you guys on your way to the week. All right, picking up here, got six more games to talk about here as we wrap up the Sunday uh, in the NFL. We got Texans, Giants. Uh, again, kind of, I mean, honestly, the last few games here, other than Cowboys Packers of all, we're all kind of duds, but, uh, some interesting things to talk about. Nonetheless, giants move to seven and two against the Texans, some favorable officiating. Um, I thought that was it the holding call and the touchdown that got called back, by the way, I went out on a limb. I picked the over of this game. It was set at 40 and a half oh. and it finished at 40. And I'm really not happy about it because one of those touchdowns hits, uh, especially because the Texans came back after that terrible holding call, and then they threw an interception right after. So this this game should have covered comfortably, and I blame the refs, which I feel like you can't blame the refs if your team loses. But if yes. you lose a bet, you get full car planche to, to bet to blame the refs. 100%, because refs don't wouldn't – see, this is where people need to understand Pe- – when we convinced, you know, like, oh, the refs got money from this team. No, the refs are in with the loan sharks and with the mob and they do <laughs> overs and unders. OK, this is what they really care about. So this is why refs are, are cheaters. They, they're all right. We're all over right. Tim right. Donahue. All right. We're not. <laughs> That's right. Maybe, maybe. Reckless speculation. Conspiracy anyway, theory, Brian. No, but. That's right. According to, to me, uh, you know, it's on the internet. It's gotta be true. So <laughs> wait, can we just, whenever, whenever you go conspiracy theory mode with bets, can we just, that's the only time we call you Brian. Yeah, that's fair. We only ever call you Vito on this pod, but when, yeah. when it's, cons- cause you sound like Brian sounds like a guy who could be like a MAGA supporting like, like crazy conspiracy nut. Like that's, yeah. that's when I want to call you. He's Brian. been abducted. By yeah, aliens. Exactly. He's been yeah. abducted. Yeah. He's on Reddit boards till like three o'clock in the morning looking at how Nancy Pelosi's actually an alien. Uh, no, yeah. Dark yeah. Web. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but look, the Giants at this point, they're playing a bad team. This is what good teams do to bad teams, which is they control the ball, they win the game comfortably. And like I, I look, Saquon had what 35 carries in this game. I think like he was mid thirties in carries in this game. Um, it felt like a, like a throwback, like 1990s NFL game. Um, yeah. 35 carries for the boy. And it, it was a huge, huge, uh, at this point, like this is a game that the giants under like any other coach that they've had finds a way to lose because the Texans are not a good football team, but they showed enough fight. I do think it's important to note that I don't think the Giants are as good of a seven and two team as uh, as we've seen. Right. I think they're Agreed. on the lower tier of a seven and two team. 
But their their two losses come against the Cowboys and come against the Seahawks, who are both probably going to end up being playoff teams. I really want to see the Giants and Eagles play because that to me is going to be the first true litmus test because the Giants' first loss came against Cooper Rush on that Sunday night game. And the other one came against Seattle, cross country, a Seattle team that was hot. The Giants made a few mistakes. Uh, and the Seattle basically played like perfect, like just perfect football where they just didn't make dumb mistakes and beat themselves. The Giants have not had a difficult schedule as most of the NFC East hasn't. And I want to see the NFC, see the New York Giants play a top tier team because every time they've played, you know, a team like Tennessee, right? They, they won because Randy Bullock missed a kick. They beat Baltimore, which is still one of the most underrated, surprising wins of the year. The win against Green Bay, not all that surprising considering where Green Bay is at. Um, and it was they, London. And it was the, yeah, and that was the London game too. And then you have, they have Detroit this week, which could be a weird matchup because the Giants win on off of defense. So if the Giants are able to, to, to move the ball, to, uh, or if the Giants were able to slow down Detroit's offense, they're going to win the game. But if they get down, if it's one of those games where like Detroit gets up 14 nothing, which we've seen a couple times this year, and then the team kind of finds their way back, the, the Giants are not built to do that. So I don't think that's a gimme. Uh, they have the game in Dallas and then home against Washington and then home against Philly and then at Washington, at Minnesota, and then they finish off the year at Philly after playing Indy. So like there's a, there's a good chance that – the Giants end up with like 10 wins on the season, which would still be an, a really good season considering the fact. But I guess, I don't know, like I, I just, the offense, despite that they've done such a good job at, at letting Danny Dimes just do the bare minimum and running Saquon, and you think run the ball, good defense, that's enough to win you there. They have some games on their schedule that will lead you to believe that they're, they're probably not going to be able to do that against some of these teams. Yeah, it's it's mostly like it's it's like we talk about coverage uh, coverage sacks on, on offensive plays. It's mostly just what uh, what's been in front of them that uh, they they've been able to get it done, and and it's it's been not great teams uh, for the most part. But you know, you still like like we always say, you play what's in front of you. Your 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 schedule, you can't control that. So you get to nine wins against the Lions this week, and then you got the NFC most of the NFC East left two against Washington, two against the Eagles, um, and then the Vikings and, uh, and Cowboys as well. But to me, I, I agree that they're not the 7-2 and two team. They can't throw the ball. Like, I don't know why, uh, apart from the, the big play that Darius Slayton had, which was uh, most of the 95 yards uh, on his tally, uh, that big play for a touchdown, they can't throw the ball. Like, they're not getting, they're not getting a whole lot open. And they only had a, 197, yeah, 197 uh, passing yards uh, or receiving yards in this game. And, and again, that was most of them on one explosive play. So, uh, so I don't, I don't understand like how, how that's sustainable to be able to uh, run the ball with Saquon, who, by the way, they're still probably, uh, I mean, look for as good as he's played and stayed healthy this year, there still has to be concern that you're running him into the ground and he's going to get injured at some point, the way that they're running him this year and depending on him so much. Uh, but I, I don't know. That offense is just uh, weird to me. And, the, and they're I stating. I, no, I, I just think that like with the Saquon thing, look, he's a different type guy. And I'm just going to say now that like Emmett Smith ran the ball forever. Barry Sanders could have still ran the elite of the elite guys. Like something might happen, but 
usually the way they fall and like, yeah, he's had some injury problems. I guess what I'm saying is that like, he's got the talent that he's going to be this good for a long time. Most running backs are going to oh, yeah. fall Agreed. off as their talent goes. And I think he's going to be there. I, what I like about this team is because they have a star running back. They're playing that old school style football, good defense, run the ball. And then the thing about Danny Dimes is he's so fast. I don't know how I always forget how fast that guy is, but he takes off randomly every like sixth game and gets like a 60 plus yard run. The dude's nuts out of nowhere. And I feel like he brings it up on third downs. Now he does hold on the ball a lot, which has its other issues. I, I just think if they can get a little bit more out of him, they could easily make, you know, make the playoffs and have a really good defense and a good run game that can translate to really good football late in the year. So I don't know. They're, they're going to be an interesting team because they may be like, quote unquote, the worst playoff team if they make it, but somehow have a style that fits with it perfectly. That's true. And, and look, the one thing I'll say, though, Vito, because to your point, right, if it was a team with a premier running back, a quarterback who's a good game manager in elite defense, then I would say yes. PFF has their defense as the 27th graded defense in the NFL. Yeah, but what's they're not getting burned, which is true. Like there are certain stats that make it look like they're really good, which is, which is why it's so weird to try to figure out whether or not they're a good defense or not, because based off of how their players play, they're not a particularly good defense. The talent level is not super high. They have a couple of good players, but what they do a good job of is is timely turnovers, which is one of those stats that typically will bear itself out, like turnover differential, that kind of stuff. It's very rare that like – and this is why one of the main arguments against Philly, but I would argue based off of the way that like Jalen Hurts and some of the other guys have been playing that it's more of just a product of the players playing really well. But like the, the Giants have a really good turnover differential. And more importantly, they don't make mistakes, which is – a credit to them, but there are going to be games where they do make mistakes. And when they do, they are not built to be able to recover from them. So they're basically put in this box where they have to play perfect football and they'll tr- come out at the end of the game with wins. And it's not pretty and it's ugly and it's dirty. And it's very similar to like the Tennessee Titans where the Titans have a really good defense. Now the defense for the Titans is graded as a top five defense, but you have to give credit where credit's due because you keep saying this, Scott, and we talk about this every week. We keep saying this isn't sustainable. They can't keep doing it. And yet they do. And I know they were coming off of a bye. So, you know, they lost the game in Seattle. Then they have a bye. And then they come out and they beat Houston. I still don't know how sustainable it is given the rest of their roster. And, and again, we'll learn more about what Washington looks like tonight. Because if Washington's frisky against Philly, then that's going to be a tough game for the Giants to be able to come out and win. But they still have to play Philly twice. They have to play Dallas in Dallas again. They have another game. They have two games against Washington coming up because it goes Washington, Philly, Washington in their schedule, which is a tough stretch. If they can continue to play basically perfect football and maximize their roster, because that's ultimately what we're seeing, right? You have a low graded defense, a middle of the you know road graded offense, but you're seven and two. Well, that's saying that, uh, somehow you're finding a way to get the job done week in and week out. I mean, their point differential, this is crazy. They're seven and two. You know what? The, guess what their point differential is? Single what? digits. 14 points. Oh, wow. The, the, the Vikings overall? At, overall right now, they're 187 points for 173 points against. Wow. The Minnesota Vikings 
who are uh, have the second worst point differential for an eight and one team since the NFL merger in 1970 is at 35. So the seven and two Giants have half of what the point differential is for the Minnesota Vikings, and that's the second worst point differential for an eight and one team in NFL history. The majority of the reason that they're over that is because the game against if you take out the game against Green Bay and just go for the seven to one teams, they're about the same as what the New York Giants are. But the Giants, again, they keep finding ways to win football games and say, you know, we can go back to the Bill Parcells. You are what your record says you are. And I get it. And we can't take this team lightly. But I do agree with Scott that at some point this season, and it feels like we've said this about 10 different teams, the Vikings, the Seahawks with Geno Smith, the Giants, at some point, the other shoe's going to drop. If they're your playoff job, because I'm expecting them to make it just based on the schedule yeah. that's left. If they're your playoff job, and that could very well be either the Bucks or whoever comes out of the NFC West, I'm hoping the Niners get New York in the first round, because that's just, I mean, there's no way, right? You, we, you would think that, but at the same time, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't want to play New York in the playoffs if they continue <laughs> doing this. Uh, Saquon because- can run the ball like that in the postseason yeah because the most dangerous teams in the nfl are teams that are the best coached and this team i would say is so far has been the best coached well i'd say probably philly has been the best coached team in the nfl but then i would say the giants are right behind them and and if you and even still the phillies have the, the eagles have a loaded roster if you look at what new york's dealing with and how they've maximized that roster and are still playing such fundamentally clean football you have to give a nod to the New York Giants. Uh, all right, let's move on here. Saints-Steelers, the last game from the 1 o'clock window. Steelers win a big one here uh, for them. T.J. Watt returns some crazy statistical advantages when T.J. Watt's in the game. Dude, I, I mean, look, we've talked about Micah Parsons, who I, I do think is the best player defensively in the NFL, though he had a rough game. And we'll get to that game in a little bit against the, Cow- uh, against the Packers this week. T.J. Watt might be the most impactful defensive player in the NFL, and I think at this point with the Aaron Donald numbers dropping like they have, I think is the most impactful pass rusher in the NFL. He completely changes games. Um, the Saints side, I I don't know why they continue to send Andy Dalton out there. Um, Jameis has been well, cleared. He's, on, he's full pads on the sideline, and you have Taysom Hill. I mean, this team doesn't have a first-round draft pick. And I'm sorry, Andy Dalton's not winning you games anymore. They have to make a change at some point because what, there's no incentive to tank. I mean, I guess your second round pick gets better, but like if you're Dennis Allen and you're taking this team over, Dennis Allen's like the only coach in the NFL who has a worse record than uh, Josh McDaniels does as a head coach. And that's <laughs> fucking saying something, which I think McDaniels might be a slight worse, but still record wise, they're the two worst coaches in the NFL in terms of their career as a head coach do fucking something different than Andy Dalton because I know he's looked okay at some points, but like the dude at this point is clearly a backup and you're trotting this team out there and you still have some weapons and it's somewhat decent defense, but giving up 20 points to this Steelers offense and credit to Kenny Pickett, who's, you know, I don't think he's great, but I'll tell you what, the dude puts it all on the line and, and grinds his fucking ass off, which, you know, that's hard to do. He's gritty as fuck, but, uh, I don't know, big one for the Steelers and the Saints. I hope they keep, as an Eagles fan, I hope they keep trouting out 
Andy Dalton. I want their first round pick. The more Andy Dalton plays, the better odds I'm going to have to have my team. Because right now, if the season ended right now, the Eagles have the number four overall pick in the NFL. Jesus, man, that's not fair. So, <laughs> Saints, keep keep starting Andy Dalton. I would love that. But for right now, if you're Dennis Allen, and, I mean, everyone's talking about how does Josh McDaniels have a job? How does Dennis Allen have a job? Because, to me, it, it's they're not too far apart talent-wise, and the Saints should be better than this. With the Saints, man, I, I think – they have a lot of problems. I mean, you're right. We need to see Jameis, right? Jameis is an MVP type candidate when he starts. We all know this, all right? We we obviously, we, if you guys didn't hear my take last year, I thought Jameis would MVP and then he threw five touchdowns get week one. And I, I've loved him ever since. But the point about Jameis is that he's definitely gives you the boomer bust that you need with this team. Kamara's not getting the ball nearly enough. Olave is good. I love Juwan Johnson coming on recently. Um, He's a, he leads huge. the team in touchdowns. Yeah, he, he's been he's been a big help that, that they needed on the offensive side. But the thing is, is that they still could only get 10 points. You're right. Without You need someone else distributing the ball back there. Or you need to, you know, hammer Kamara, but they couldn't get him going. They only carried the ball eight times. It's crazy. But the thing about the Steelers, which is wild, is that, you know, not, they can consistently run with Najee. Kenny Pickett got involved running the ball a lot. It looked like almost the Giants in a way. Um, but the difference, you know, I, I love what we saw from some of the playmakers on the Steelers side because it's always different when, uh, you know, um, what Claypool goes. But Deontay Johnson had a big catch. George Pickens stepped up. I think they really like George Pickens. That's why they're comfortable with making moves towards the deadline because I love him too. Uh, Pickens, I think, to me, could end up being like, you know, maybe the best receiver out of this class, which I know is kind of crazy, but we'll see how his career develops. Because it doesn't happen in year one, right? We got to be patient. But George Pickens is an elite athlete, and I'm really excited to see what he brings for the Steelers side. Well, and yeah, quick, I really a, like the Steelers. Too. A quick aside about George Pickens: remember, he missed all of last year until the national championship game for Georgia because of the he had a torn ACL or a torn Achilles in the, in spring camp. Imagine that Georgia team last year if George Pickens was also on the team. <laughs> that insane Georgia team. <laughs> Which is well, he had like, the touchdown that won it. Yeah, but like also like he missed the entire season. Like he didn't yeah. play. So it's like he played in the national championship game. He didn't have the touchdown, but he did have the the deep catch, uh, like oh, the 60-yard yeah. bomb that he that he caught, and then he, he didn't really do much for the rest of the game. But just thinking about that Georgia team and how fucking loaded they were, right? And yeah. I've heard a lot of people talk about too, like are. Well, well, like still are, you're right. But like talking about like, well, if Bama – you know, if Jamison Williams doesn't get hurt in the SEC or the first, what was it, the SEC championship game, or that might have been Mechie, or, or maybe it was the the uh, the semifinal, whatever it was, you know, Bama would have won the title. Georgia played all season without their best fucking weapon, and now we're seeing what George Pickens doing in the NFL. And once again, even though it doesn't make sense, the fucking Pittsburgh Steelers find a stud wide receiver not in the first round. I don't know how they keep doing it, but their old GM, Kevin Colbert, no longer there. So we'll see if he's going to be – if they're, this train's going to continue. But no one picks wide receivers like the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's ridiculous. Sorry, Scotty, Very go true. ahead and, 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 and give your thoughts. I just – that was – to me, like that thought occurred to me earlier. Where I was like, man, George Pickens no, have, missed like all of last year. Like imagine if he had played all season. That would be insane. No, the one thing – and this is another aside, and then Scotty, to you about the game. But I would love to see – an alumni game like Georgia, Bama, 
only NFL alumni in the last eight years. Put together your team and play. I want to see that. Like That's a Pro Bowl style, style kind of like game. A Pro Bowl offseason, but like a spring ball game. But like you play one half with these NFL players, and then your your players come out and you watch them. Who who would you start a quarterback if you took all the alum from Georgia in the NFL and all the alum from Georgia in the NFL? Like or from Bama. Bama sorry, Bama in Georgia. Yeah. That, that's the one thing. I mean, because you have Stafford. Stetson so Bennett. Stafford from Georgia. Stafford and Tua? Would you start Tua or Jalen Hurts? Stafford has one arm and it's not a throwing arm. I guess I'd okay. start you could, Hurts. You could start her. I, th- I thought you had to graduate there is kind of what I meant. So I count as Oklahoma. I mean, come on. I mean, he Jalen Hurts is – I mean, that's that's true. But he Jalen Hurts is a, is a Bama alum. He counts. Okay. But who would you – yeah, but either if way – you could just start like, Hurts, you start Hurts for sure. That sounds like a fun offseason topic. Let's let's draft the, we'll the Georgia that, and yeah. Alabama players and see who would start <laughs> for each team. That would be fun as shit. Um, all right. Any other thoughts on Saints Steelers? No, no. no? Saints got to do right. something. I mean, the 186 yards offensively and and not getting Camaro the ball. That's that's your best player on offense, man. Yeah, it's it's you hate to see it. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Poor Chris Olave too, because he's fucking good, and I wish he was on a better team. Like if Chris Olave was on like the Packers, like if the Packers had gotten Chris Olave, like the Packers are probably like a seven win team right now. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's all take a minute now before this next game we're going to talk about. And let's give fucking Jeff Saturday some goddamn credit because I fucking Jeff Sunday. <laughs> I, I don't care about anything else right now in the NFL, not including the Philadelphia Eagles, other than Jeff Saturday winning football games. I want this so bad, right? Because here's the thing. The Rooney rule stuff, Everything around that, I've we've had hour-long podcasts on this where Scotty and I and Vita, you've been in there before. We've talked about the Rooney rule of death. We are absolutely in favor of it. No questions asked, right? There, there needs to be changes. We need to get more blackhead coaches, more people of color, all that stuff. But Jeff Saturday across the board is like one of the most likable and well-liked people in sports media. I've never had the the chance to work with Jeff Saturday. I know people who know him well, so I can't speak from personal experience here, but I do know that he is as well liked behind the scenes as anybody in sports media. And he got absolutely trashed last week. Right. And I understand it. The dude had no experience, all this stuff. I get it. It's totally fair. It's totally valid. I understand it. That being said, this to me is like, I found myself rooting for the Colts so fucking hard in this game. Like every, like Jonathan Taylor breaks that 60 yard touchdown runoff. And I'm like standing up, like cheering. Yeah. Like I wanted, it was, it was like I was watching the Eagles game just because I say what you will. It's not Jeff Saturday's fault that Jim Mersey reached out and offered him the job. Yeah. Right. So at this point, you can't blame him. You want to shit on Ursay, you want to shit on the process. I'm right there with you. Let's do it. But he made his decision. Jeff Saturday is there. I'm not going to hold ill will against a guy who is so universally liked, who crushed his press conference, who seemingly crushed everything he did in those four days that he had to be the head coach. This doesn't feel like the typical interim head coach win. This feels like a guy who came into the locker room, had the self-awareness to say, look, I understand how fucked up this is. I understand how weird this is. I understand that I'm not supposed to be here. 
but I am. So let's figure something out. Let's go win a fucking football game. And the team bought in. That team that we saw on Sunday was a completely different Colts team than we had seen all year. The offensive line had chippiness to it. It didn't have the defense had chippiness. It didn't have the running game. This just the fact that he put Matt Ryan in, which was a direct order from Jim Mercer to put in Sam Ellinger. And Jeff Saturday already came in and said, no, we're starting Matt Ryan, Jim. I'm sorry. And it was like, yeah, okay, cool. No, no worries. Right. Like the, the energy from this team was completely different. I want Jeff Saturday to, su- to succeed as much as anybody, because I love, if nothing else, I love watching NFL high-end NFL media people have to retract takes or have to come out with their tail between their leg when they're wrong. And I think this is as good of an opportunity for that as we've ever had. So shout out Jeff Saturday, shout out the Indianapolis Colts. I fucking loved it. The whole thing. Hell yeah, man. No, it's incredible. This story, this team, like I told you guys last week, like Jeff Saturday in terms of, you know, his ability and, and his involvement in the process of practice when he was a Colt is insane. I love this pick. I think this is this is where people have to understand that, like, you got to think outside the box if you're struggling. They've hired – Indianapolis has hired, like, you know, they had Pagano, who was great, and they've had all these hires that, like, Frank Reich is good, but they had to figure something else new out. And he thought outside the box, went to Saturday. This shit has the chance to work for sure. This is, like, this is a risk, and Ursay knows it. And again, process aside, we're just talking about the actual person in the seat now. I like Jeff Saturday and I like what he brings to a team and I like his demeanor. I think he's going to be great for like this era of players coming up. These are still kids coming in at 22 years old. Most the average age in the NFL is not above 30. Let me tell you what. So <laughs> like you need to be able to just be understanding and relate, especially this generation. And I think they picked a perfect guy to do that and to be a coach of men at this age well i think it's the relatability too right he's been in that spot and watched them over the past couple of years in depth for his job breaking down film and analyzing at espn it's not the uh the career lifer uh coach guy who's got in there and yeah he's got some experience so uh yeah let's let's uh hire this guy because we know what he's capable of as a uh, as the head of a, a a football team and so I love it too, you know, uh, the, just the fact that it's, that it's more uh, relatable and he's not going to go in there and be like, look at my, my, my coaching bona fides. Uh, like uh, I I'm one of you. I, I, I came into this uh, anticipating that I'm going to lead you as, as men and with the experiences as, as a football player, uh, not someone who's sitting in his office, uh, you know, drawing up, uh, plays on on a whiteboard uh, to make sure we scheme up the the correct thing for a particular week necessarily. Um, so I love it too. Um, but the thing is, they were playing the Raiders, who were terrible. So hopefully, it, 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 we see a lot more of it in the future uh, and, and more of that rally and buy in that the that the, we saw from the Colts uh, team on the field. But uh, the Raiders are just terrible, man. Flatly, I mean, bad. <laughs> Yeah, they are like, and and so much of that is on McDaniel's. Which I I don't know if you guys, and I don't know if you have any strong feelings on this, but I don't quite understand why the whole Josh McDaniel's thing doesn't work. Like he's a guy who has been around it for so long. 
He seems to have a good rapport with players. People who've played for them for him have nothing bad to say. And maybe, you know, hell, you can say the same thing about, you know, like a Frank Reich or some of these other guys. But for the most part, like, I don't know, is, is there anything bad to say about a guy like, like Josh McDaniels? He's only ever had success in the NFL other than when he was the head coach of the Broncos. But clearly there's a disconnect from the jump from coordinator to head coach. Or maybe it's just, hey, there's a possession here, a possession off. I mean, they were it's up crazy. two touchdowns against the Kansas City Chiefs three weeks ago. Yeah, I, I don't know because to me, for me, right, because he was my head coach for a while. We went six and two, I think, in our first eight games. And, like, um, we beat the Patriots and he was pump, pumping his fist in the end zone. All the Broncos fans are going crazy. It was like a Sunday night game. You fast forward and he's like just terrible. He's awful. Uh, he, he, I think it's the jump that is a real thing. He's done it before, but he, again, he had instant success when he jumped. Now he's, he's not having as much success. I wonder if it's going to slow creep on him this time, but man, I, I just hope for his sake, because I do really like him. I th- I think he deserves to be a head coach. If he can make it work is what I'm trying to say. Like he deserves a second opportunity, but there's usually not third ones. There's, you know what I mean? It may be once in a while, but it's very rare that you go, you bounce around from coordinator to coach this much. A lot of guys end up staying coordinators for a lot of their career and there's nothing wrong with that. And it was honestly surprising me. He took this jump, but man, they just, they just don't have it right now. Yeah. And, and I'll say this too, for Jim or uh, you do have to think it, it was a nice win against the guy who agreed to be your head coach and Josh McDaniels and then bailed out back in yeah. uh, in 2018 um yeah and it, it's a it's a weird it's a weird thing because i, I kind of don't want Je- like i'm rooting for jeff saturday and rooting for the guys on the team i'm not kind of rooting for jim ursay but he also yeah look if it's not for jim ursay is dan snyder getting ousted so it's like it keeps like one thing kind of keeps topping the other because if jim ursay doesn't come out and and comment publicly about dan snyder who was the first time we've ever had an owner do something like that and who knows right maybe the lawsuits and everything else come out anyway and maybe dan snyder ends up being willing to sell the team but you you do kind of sit there and go well shit you know like i i don't know if dan snyder goes out without jim mercy so it's a weird overall dynamic but i will say that i am uh i am happy uh that we uh that Jim did Jeff Saturday at least won that game. All right. The best game of this window, Cowboys Packers. Um, this was a huge, like enormous win for the Packers coming down 14 points uh, in the fourth quarter, 14. They, they were down 28 to 14 going into the fourth quarter. They put up 14 points, send the game to overtime. Uh, Dak makes two crucial interceptions that lead to two different touchdowns for the Packers. Um Rarely do you ever say that, like, you can blame it one side or the other. I don't blame Dak solely, but I will say that, hey, you throw an end zone interception uh, and a game that seemed pretty one-sided, that completely flipped the game around. It was 14-7 at that point. Then we see, um, you know, the game get flipped around after that interception. Packers tied at halftime. Cowboys again go up 14 points in the second quarter or in the second half, and uh, and then Rodgers does what he does, and they find a way to go down, score, uh, kick the field goal in overtime. The the fourth down call, I'm curious as to hear y'all's thoughts. Um, fourth and two, 
within Brett Maher's uh, range to kick a field goal. They decided to go for it. Um, bad play design, it seemed. Um, look, I, I feel like, and this is weird to say, and I don't know why, but it does feel like the Cowboys are somewhat both more dangerous and less dangerous with Dak Prescott as their starting quarterback. Um, I don't know. I, Dak, I think, has fully taken over the uh, the Kirk Cousins role. Like Kirk Cousins has ascended above what we think Kirk Cousins typically is, and now Dak is kind of the new Kirk Cousins in terms of how his games tend to play out. And this was a win that hey, the Cowboys should have won this game, right? You have the the Packers beaten down as bad as they've been in the last decade. You're you're playing. You're up 14 points twice in this game, and you blow it both times. Uh, it, it's it's a rough loss for for the Cowboys, which you won't see me shed a tear about it. But for a team that should scare you, the Packers found out kind of what the key is, and the Eagles were the first ones to do it. Which is, hey, if you have a running game, you can run right at this team. That's really the only weakness this defense has. And you guys did a good job. Of, or you got sorry. Uh, I was thinking about James. I was with James this weekend. He's a Cowboys fan. Um, Don't you dare put was- that evil on me, Vito. Which is funny, but no, I, I like, and so we were talking to another Packers fan, but Packers ran it really well on, on Dallas, man. They really did. They stuck with it towards the end. I mean, they came up in the fourth quarter and obviously that's when they scored their 14 points to push to overtime. Like you mentioned and you know, I, I, to the fourth down call, I didn't like it. I actually didn't like, I didn't like the call. I didn't like how they went for it. Um, I didn't even like going for it. It was, it was a weird situation. Um, I don't know. It was just something Mike different. McCarthy, baby. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I just didn't like it, but that doesn't mean it's bad, right? Like you can disagree with calls all you want. It's easy to say that after the fact too. Um, but no, at that moment, it just didn't make too much sense to me. And, and then overall, Dallas feels like a team that, to your point about more dangerous and less dangerous, it's like they're more streaky. You know, they'll score 28 points in two quarters and then zero in the first and the fourth. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah, that's what they do. So it's the streaky, weird offense that like yeah then the the deck interception to your point i mean that obviously just changes this entire game he doesn't throw that they at least you know get a field goal out of that for sure so yeah i mean it's it's tough to say but i mean this is one where getting him back and you know having him playing again you're gonna have a little rust knock games and and i don't know that pick seemed to be one but you, you just don't know hopefully there's this is a blip and not a trend well and with this cowboys defense like, we keep talking about it as, like, an elite defense, one of the best defenses in the NFL. Right now, their overall grade is 11th in the NFL, according to PFF. Their uh, tackling is top 10. Their pressure rate is number one in the NFL. Their coverage is number six. But their rush defense is 26th in the NFL. Oof. So. And a lot of that comes down to like, yeah, Micah Parsons can do a lot of things. He can't, you can't have 11 Micah Parsons on the field, which if you could, you would have the number one defense in the NFL probably. (laughs) In the history of the world. Yeah, but you don't. And so you're still relying on Leighton Vander Esch to be your, your top run stuffer, or you do what teams with mobile quarterbacks have done. Like we saw with Philly, which was, Hey, we're going to use you as the option guy and just put you in a tough bind every single time we decide to run it. Or you do what you did it, it, like Green Bay did, which is we're just going to run away from you. Or we're going to send our guys and add an extra blocker and run right at you, and we're still going to pick up four or five yards at a time. 
And so when you get to the playoffs, like these are the things where teams are like, well, this Cowboys, like I was listening to Damian Woody this weekend, um, like talking about this. And, and look, Damian Woody's a, a really, really good analyst. But he was saying like, look, they have an elite defense. I think they're a top five team in the NFL still because their team will travel. They'll be dangerous come playoff time because they're going to be able to travel with this offense because they can run the ball and they can they can play elite defense. In the playoffs, if you can't stop the run, you're going to be in some trouble, especially if you're going to be playing Philly, especially if you're going to be playing the New York Giants like we were talking about. Um, so uh, on, on one hand, like I, I do think this team scares me simply because Micah Parsons is a monster. But to Marcus Lawrence, who started off at an elite level, has tailed off a little bit. They're still top five when it comes to pressure rate. But I don't know how el- truly elite this defense is. I think it's one of the top 10 defenses in the NFL, no question. But that fear that we saw through the first like four or five weeks, we're like, holy shit, this defense is on another level. I think they've been figured out to some extent. Well, I think to your point, it's a good fantasy defense. What I mean by that is like they yeah. get sacks, they get turnovers, it's yeah. exciting, whatever. But to your point, like when you're lining up to play them and, and you go through all their stats and you're like, oh, they can't guard the run. Let's just run up the middle on them the whole time. And now to your point, teams are, you have enough statistics halfway through the season. You have enough tape where you're like, all right, not only, oh, we're going to run it. Here are the gaps we're running through. Here are the schemes we're going to run. Here's what's that success against them. Yeah. You're going to pick things up. And in this copycat league is what they always call it. And look at like, yeah, and look at the happen. play that won the game for Green Bay it was the re, it was the run option that Rodgers had that he pulled it and then hit Lazard on the quick slant in overtime, yeah. right? Because they they put Parsons in a situation where he froze and he had no other option. Rodgers sees the slant come across the middle, pulls it out, boom. So if you're able to run these option schemes against them, you're going to put them in a in a tough spot. Um, Scotty, what are your thoughts here on Green Bay? Is this a season-saving game, or are we still going to look at this team at the end of the season and say, "Hey, you know what? They're they're six and seven, or six and uh, you know eleven, or something like that." It is. It is to me for three reasons. One, you established the running game early. Aaron Jones got hot. We've seen how good Green Bay can be on offense when uh, they get four reasons. Sorry, uh, running game number one. The defense played lights out. That's the best defense I've seen the the Green Bay Packers play all season long. Uh, on all three levels uh, and they, and they were able to, to confuse things and, uh, and uh, granted they capitalized on a couple of mistakes uh, where Dak and, and his receivers were clearly not on the same page. Uh, but I, I think top to bottom, that was the best defensive game we've seen from the green Bay Packers. Number three, their huge investment, their first round draft pick Christian Watson finally had his breakout game, Right. And it was all, you can't catch the ball. He's dropped a ton of stuff. He was He's not awesome. ready. He was, uh, he awesome was unbelievable this game. Four catches, 107 yards, uh, including that 58-yarder, uh, which he caught. They, they were showing a side-by-side comparison of the, I think it was like week one or two, uh, where it was the same play on a go route, and he, he just straight up dropped the ball. It hit his yeah. hands. and he, It was he week it. one against Minnesota. Yeah. And so his development coming along finally, Aaron Jones or Aaron Rodgers getting some trust uh, in, in his receivers has been one of the critical questions uh, of the season for them. And I think that went a long way. And four, and finally, the same reason, uh, the same things we talked about Tom Brady last week, having that vintage moment and, and turning their season around potentially, I think you saw exactly the same thing uh, in this game with Aaron Rodgers. So yeah, all, all four of those reasons, I think it's a season saving game for the, uh, for the Green Bay Packers. I think if there's a team that's likely to sneak in, 
that we're not expecting to the playoffs. And I think this applies for, for both sides. Cause I think the, again, that line is pretty clear on the AFC and the NFC as to who's getting in, who's getting out. Um, I think if there's one team that's likely to somehow go on a run and find their way into the playoffs, I, I do think it's the green Bay Packers because despite, you know, look, you give up 28 points to your, to your point, Scotty, right. You give up 28 points. You think you played good defensively. They did play pretty good. It, it, it Look, they gave up a lot of points, but ultimately when it came, when push came to shove the fourth quarter in overtime, the Packers defense showed up for the first time all year, particularly yep. in coverage. Um, and, and that was, that was a big sign. Right. And that can be a momentum changer because if both of those teams turn around and get right, I do think the Packers have a good shot of making the playoffs. All right. Two more games. One of which we'll spend basically no time on the backup bowl. Uh, Colt McCoy doing his thing like he does every single year. One start comes in, wins a game in November. This is the Colt McCoy show. I want to know how many years in a row Colt McCoy has won at least one game. Can we get Zach Parker on that? Because like, I, I, I might an interesting stat. My my guess is it's got to be like six or seven straight, four straight years. I would get that's my guess. guess. I, like bet, four I bet to you five. it's like six straight years because Colt McCoy has been a starter uh, as as a backup, but has come in filling in as a backup and started at least five five or six straight seasons. So he's he's played in five straight seasons. He's um, played in five straight seasons. We're we're about to try and get some stats on this. This might be tough, but I can tell you. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're working on this. Zach, Zach, somebody, we're, we're getting this for you. All right. Well, nonetheless, Zach, uh, Zach is going to be working on that. Um, Colt McCoy, I, I, I mean, look, this game was fucking weird, right? And we both, Vito and I both picked Arizona because we thought they'd have a better chance. But And I alluded to this earlier, and I think this is the biggest takeaway from this game because, look, both of these teams suck. Um, and ultimately, like, the Rams – I wouldn't be surprised if McVay, if A, Aaron Donald retires, and B, Sean McVay retires, at least short-term. I, I think McVay is going to be the next Gruden, minus the, like, uh, yeah. harmful emails. <laughs> like, minus yeah, yeah, yeah. the, like, like hopefully. being Korean. Yeah. 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 Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh, the, the non-canceled John Gruden, where, which, and this being said, too, I don't know what platform is going to give him a chance to because right now everyone's signed the long-term deals maybe amazon moves on from kirk herb street or something uh and they throw a bag at sean mcveigh which i think was their first it was like their first plan initially um but it does seem like all the jobs and remember too whenever tom brady does retire he has that deal with fox sports and he's gonna be doing tv uh color commentary for the number one team with fox sports um so there's not a whole lot of openings but um, there, there is at least some, and I, I don't know, man, like I, I, I feel like this is, uh, this is a likely outcome, um, or a likely outcome from this is going to be that, that we see Sean McVay leave, but going back to what I was leading up to there, the biggest takeaway from this game is when Cliff Kingsbury has a quarterback that runs the offense, the way it's designed, mm-hmm. the offense isn't terrible. And I know it's it'll be very easy for us to go in and 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 shit on Kyler Murray or shit on Cliff Kingsbury all the time because we always tend to lean more towards the player when it comes to this kind of stuff happening, right? Like we did the same thing with Nathaniel Hackett, right? Well, it has to be Nathaniel Hackett. Russ isn't this bad. We get a big enough sample size, and it turns out actually, you know what? I think it is Russ who's fucking up this much. Kyler Murray is is a big problem with this offense. And I don't know if you guys saw the clip that came out last week 
um, after they lost to, I forget who Arizona lost to last week, but uh, Kyler Murray getting yelled at by DeAndre Hopkins walking off the field after he threw an interception or was like a yeah. third down or fourth down. And, and you know, D-Hop being like, what the fuck are you seeing, one? Like, one, what the fuck are you seeing? Like, people are getting tired of this. And Kyler is electric when he takes it and he runs and he makes his crazy plays and it's backyard football. But in terms of playing within a scheme, I don't know if Kyler Murray is going to have a long future in the NFL being able to do that. You know, it's worrisome to see that divide in the, in the, on a sideline, but, you know, on a losing team, it's just hard to it, – it, it magnifies these issues, right? And you know there's going to be some of this, but – the fact that one was bad because you have a guy who's obviously a leader in the NFL, like one of the best at his position, just getting frustrated as hell. And Hopkins is not a guy. He's not a Terrell Owens. You know what I mean? He's, yeah. He's, he's not like that at all. This is just right. It's not like he said this in public to get caught. There was a mic near the sideline. Like he was saying this to his teammate. And, you know, when you're getting, when basically the best player in your team is calling out your quarterback, um, you know, you're in a spot that's tough. So um now they've got a lot to deal with. And, and it's funny because I think really what you're saying, right, Jeff, is that I wonder if the Cardinals made a mistake by doing this deal right now or with I, Kyler, like just getting it done this last season. Like, is, is this really what you guys wanted? Because now again, like the Broncos and Russ, they're tied to them. I, I, I mean, I said it when they gave him the deal, it didn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. Like, like I, I thought it was, I thought it was a terrible decision for him to, to do that. Um, but this is where we're at, right? This is where we're at. Uh, by the way, uh, in terms of, I found the the record for um, uh, for Colt McCoy. It's been three straight years that he's won a game. Um, he went zero right. and two in Wash in Washington in 2018. He went zero and one in Washington in 2019. One and one with the New York Giants in 2020. Two and one with Arizona Cardinals, and now one and zero. That was 21, and then now two and uh, or one and zero with the Cardinals. Uh, he has won. This is crazy. He's won seven plus four. He's won 11 games in the NFL. What yeah. I thought that number was higher. I'm not going to lie, but he, but in those games, he's got two comebacks and five game winning drives. So about 50% of, uh, of his career are, are game winning drives. I've got a record over here of, uh, I, I think, Oh, cause I think it cut off at a point for you. Cause right now he's at, like 23 and 29. Well, those might include, well, I, cause I have on just games uh, played. Cause yeah, yeah, it's not starts. It's yeah. not starts. Yeah. Cause I have, I have pro football reference yeah, up yeah. there. So these are team it's, which is team record and games started by the quarterback. Um, yeah, so exactly. I, I guess that doesn't include games that he's come in, which I would say do count on his record. Uh, but at least in games that he started. So maybe that number is better than, than we we're, we're saying. No, 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 you're absolutely right. So in games yeah, that he started, he's won that many. But the crazy – yeah, for me, the craziest thing is this is his 12th straight year playing in a game. <laughs> how about it? That's longevity. And uh, yeah, how, how about – how, how to make it be a starter in the NFL without being a that's starter? A, that's a page out of Chase Daniels' playbook. Well, I was uh, going to say, he'll be- Chase, Chase, Chase has, the, has it all figured out. $42 million in career <laughs> earnings – I think he's made like one career start and he's complete. He's like attempted like 110 passes like Chase Daniels. And even still, he had to go in, in that game that we're going to talk about here in a little bit, the chargers Niners game, he had to jump into that game. Uh, and it didn't look good for Chase Daniels last night, but uh, no, we'll get, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just think Kyler Murray, he's so electric as an athlete. Um, but 
I think the height thing is a problem. I think the size and injury thing is a problem. And I just yeah. don't. What a surprise. Kyler's yeah. are injured in week 10. Did I call that or what? Yeah, this is exactly <laughs> around the time that this happens, right? It's as soon as you get to that double digit week total, this is kind of when Kyler Murray starts. But that being said, I mean, look, the Cardinals still four and six, which is pretty crazy. And they're 11 and three since 2020 in road games. Wow. So terrible at home. But yeah, you see uh, that clip of I forget Buda Baker maybe crying in the locker room. Maybe I didn't. I don't know like, if I saw someone was that. crying in the locker room after like to talking to the team when they were all down. I mean, like I'm tired of losing at home. Like tears in his eyes. Like yeah, Arizona Cardinals have fucking had it, and it sucks too because like I I don't think I look Cliff Kingsbury's not a great coach. I do think he should be a coordinator somewhere. He'll probably go and take a college job whenever this flames out, but. The Cardinals, similar, because it's, look, we've got the Cardinals, the Packers, and the Broncos in kind of cap hell with these QB contracts. And this is going to become the thing, man. Now that – and the best part about the quarterback contract contracts getting bigger and bigger and the more and more guaranteed money, which means the cap hit is getting bigger – the dead cap hit is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, we can all blame Kirk Cousins because if it wasn't for Kirk Cousins demanding the fully guaranteed contract, the guaranteed money in these contracts – would ultimately still be getting bigger, but ultimately slower. But I just like finding I reasons like that. To, I like finding reasons to blame Kirk Cousins. Vito, uh, we had a, a Trace McSorley siding in that we did. game, too. That's true. How about we that? Did. Trace McSorley. Um was talking to my brother-in-law yesterday who met Trace McSorley at a bar in Seattle City. So there you go. How about that for a fun story that no one cared about? <laughs> uh, at least no one had listening to this pod. Um, all right. And last up, your Niners, Scotty. Big win on Sunday night football. Yeah. A little bit closer than I than I think we all thought this game would be. Well, yeah, the first but, half uh, really did that for the Chargers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, the Chargers were came in. Nobody expected them to run the ball uh, as effectively as they did in the first half. And then the second half came around and like, oops, <laughs> the Niners defense is the Niners defense, right? Yeah. Uh, Fred Warner was all over the field. Bosa, I mean, the amount of pressure that they were getting on the defensive line, and it wasn't just Bosa. Uh Greenlaw was getting in there before he got ejected. And then uh, uh, there, there was, it felt like in the second half, Justin Herbert was on the run all the time. Um, and, uh, and the defense did their thing. And, and that running game right now, Elijah Mitchell coming back, the tandem between him and, uh, and Christian McCaffrey. I mean, at one point, it looked like they were getting almost 10, 11, 12 yards of play. I mean, they're doing whatever they wanted right up the gut. And, yeah. uh, and it was, it's, so we'll see. I mean, hopefully both stay healthy with the remainder of the year. Uh, Cause I think Elijah Mitchell hasn't played since week one, if I'm correct, but. Uh, well, and uh, they didn't, they didn't play McCaffrey a ton either. Like, I, and, and I like that they're kind of doing this dual thing, but I felt there were multiple times where I was like, I get it. It's nice to get Elijah Mitchell back in the flow of things a little bit, but like you have fucking Christian McCaffrey there and Elijah Mitchell is a great back, but. Says, says the Christian McCaffrey fantasy owner yeah. for for sure. And I get that's probably <laughs> why I noticed it more than, than, you know, most of the time, but I just was sitting there watching that game being like, yo, like, let's like, you have Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell's good, but like you have Christian McCaffrey. Well, like, let's get and the thing the is like the, the it, what I liked too. And, and a lot of this, we talked about when Christian McCaffrey got traded was now that you can run some of those pony sets where you've got, both of those running backs out there. And yeah. on top of that, working Debo in motion in and out of the backfield, uh, it confused the hell out of that defense. And credit to their defense in the first half, that run defense was phenomenal for the Chargers. They held McCaffrey to like something like uh, 10 carries and 14 yards. 
yeah. in, in the first half of the game. But uh, after that, they were kind of a sieve and the offensive line did their thing, pushing them around. Um, but yeah, uh, Niners look good uh, last night, at least, I think. Well, they did a good job of controlling the game. I have a feeling come playoff time, we're going to see a lot more Christian McCaffrey in those situations than we will Elijah Mitchell, who again, is great oh, yeah. back. But we're going to see a lot more. And, and it's nice that McCaffrey doesn't have to carry or touch the ball 25 to 30 times a game in order to make an impact because you can you can let him rest and be full steam you know or full you know fully healthy come playoff time uh because that's only going to help McCaffrey get better and and, and better make him more impactful um has McCaffrey ever played in the playoffs maybe in the beginning of his career when Cam was still there but um that's just an just a thought that I had I don't know if we've seen McCaffrey play in the playoffs much uh over the course of his career I will say this though too that last spot in the AFC playoffs is likely going to come down to the Chargers and the Bengals. And from what I've seen from the Chargers, given the amount of injuries that they have, they're a really well-coached football team, and it seems like Brandon Staley has done a good jump. I know everyone picked them preseason as like a Super Bowl pick, and people thought they were going to take a big jump, and they got bit with the injury bug. This is a team that when everyone comes back and is healthy, and again, they started, you know, what, Josh, uh, Josh Palmer and – uh, DeAndre Carter at wide receiver again this this week. Um, when they get healthy, which I didn't like the Mike Williams contract, and I wish they had they had saved that. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Maybe they can move off of him at some point. But they did pay him. This is a team that I think next year when they're like, if this team's fully healthy, I do think they're probably a, a, a top ten team in the NFL. I do think they're that good because. They've played some good teams, banged up and hurt, and they've been in pretty much every game, including this one. Uh, and that opening drive was so effortless for them to get down mm-hmm. the field and score that touchdown. So credit to the Niners for responding and, and adjusting. But um, Herbert's a stud. It's just fascinating and it's funny for this pod because we've spent so long in the offseason debating Joe Burrow versus Justin Herbert. That last spot in the playoffs is going to come down to the Bengals and the Chargers. So we'll 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 see who ends up pulling it off there. I mean, I guess you can't count. I bet the I know who, off, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but Herbert's Herbert's been amazing considering everything else that he's dealing with and the guys that he's throwing to. Um, for a guy that young to be the focal point and the reason that he's that that offense is even remotely successful, uh, including not just the wide receivers but also your starting left tackle who's an All Pro. Um, that's really impressive. It's really impressive. Yeah. Uh, Vito, any other thoughts you want to add? Chargers, Niners from Sunday Night Football. Not much, just that I'm really liking, um, you know, what they're doing, the Niners, uh, mixing in McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell. I think it's a good combo, and it's it's fun to watch. Yeah, it is. It is fun to watch. Uh, all right, that will do it. Uh, great show, boys. This has been fun. If anybody uh, out there wants to, to give us a little uh, a like or a share, please do that. We always love getting uh, feedback from you guys. Numbers have been great. Shout out to Alliance Accounting. Uh, keeping the lights on here at uh, on the Read Option Pod. We love you. Thank you, guys. Go check out Alliance uh, underscore counting on Instagram or allianceacctng.com on, uh, on your internet computer devices to go check out our boy Omar and everything he's doing over there. So for the boys, we'll be back on Friday. Vito, we, are we going to have three pods in a row with Vito? Or are you, are you going to be tapped out on Thursday night when we record? I'm supposed to be good. Okay. For now, we're, we're, it's, it's a yes. Yes. It's a, it's a tentative. We're willing yes. it into existence. We're going to not going to change this week. We're going to be. Right. All right. 
So you'll get all of us back here, hopefully, uh, on Friday to get you guys ready for week 11 in the NFL. We'll talk college football playoff rankings and results uh, and keep an eye out in case, who knows, maybe, maybe we'll see another coaching change. Probably not this week, but you never know in the NFL. So for the boys, I'm Jeff. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you guys on Friday. And as always, take it easy, everybody. <laughs>